0: You've tuned in to another episode of the Adeptus Terra podcast, hosted by Sam, Matt and Neil. Put your feet up and enjoy.
1: Well, I, I started recording slightly too far into the intro, so I had to listen to Matt tell me that it, it, uh, uh, this is the Adeptus Terra podcast and to uh, put your feet up and enjoy. Uh, hello and welcome to episode 79. We're getting to the cool 100 now. It's a slippery on, slope. Path. It's path. like three years away, right? But we're still... Yeah, well,
0: <laughs> Joe, right, yeah. Joe, the other thing is, is I'm a little bit worried about our numbering. because Someone messaged me, uh, it was probably about a year ago, but messaged me one of, our, one of my friends who was listening to the podcast and said, what happened to that like episode 30 to like 42? And I was like, oh, we just completely missed out a load of numbers. But so I want to go back through and make sure that we haven't missed some, some episode numbers otherwise um, it's not really 79 but
1: we're not right we're now, not changing the numbers
0: that, we're not changing the numbers but i'm just saying that well, like, it could I've, be a, a fictitious 79
1: it's i've not.
2: got here 30 31 32 33 34 uh
1: it might <laughs> be it might be
0: and i think uh, <laughs> is it 34 and then did we go like 45 or something
2: no, like no 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 i found the 36 37 38
0: 39
2: cool. uh um, uh, then, I, I have
0: no idea where it is, by the way. I don't know,
2: I've so. now now I had a, a jump to 42, 42, No, no, no. No, no.
1: I can see it, right?
2: <laughs> oh, i 40. 39, 40,
1: yep. hung drawn and quartered. 40 is Well That Escalated Slowly. 41 is Big Fish, Little Fish and Death Watch. 42 yep. is Dynasty of Positivity. Oh, well, they all that? There.
0: Such, such good titles. <laughs>
1: Do you know what? I just stopped... Yeah, no, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34,
0: 35, 36, Okay 30, No, don't get focused on the 30s. So that, that was just a, a number I plucked out of there. There is potentially somewhere where we've missed, like, a bunch of numbers, but I don't know where it is. No,
1: I Lies. No there isn't. Lies. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm literally... Lies. Yeah. Right, this is the one thing that I do every month. I look at the previous yeah. episode. I look at this episode. Like, <laughs> there is no way we've missed numbers. Now, Spotify only calculate uh, only uh takes 50 episodes and so does okay. um what's it called so does uh apple iTunes. podcasts so it might be that they've taken like one two three or an amount and then jumped to the next uh, yeah, the it missed could, amount.
0: Al- it, could, it could also be that that person started listening missed a load yeah and then started back listening i don't I, like cool this is episode 79 for sure guys uh
1: hello and welcome to episode 79 the vengeful snake bite i feel like we need to come up with a better title now now that you've called out that title but i'll I'll think of it
0: titles used to be better yes i i've lost
1: that that, uh,
0: creative itch i blame Mm. children
1: it is children's fault children are the worst um (laughs) i'm sam this is Matt and Neil's here as yeah, well. Uh, well done. It's pretty hello. good. Neil's been here for consistency for the last Mate, couple of episodes. Neil's,
0: no, Neil's done like maybe six, seven months now. I think has he without missing one?
2: Yeah, it's it's something to do with becoming a
1: hermit. A to
2: trainer and oh, a sorry, hermit and knowing the ways yeah, of no, the force and yeah, knowing the ways of force. definitely longer I, than two weeks. I think,
0: I think it's quite. I think it's quite clear. And you watch it change now, but that we are back to having a. Three co host chair, which is great. Not just Neil's here and not here, it's just here are the three of us. Let's
3: go. It's great. I love it. Awesome.
1: But anyway, in this episode, uh, we are going to be talking about uh, the, we've got the 30k book club where we're talking about the vengeful <laughs> spirit. We don't talk about that actually. Sorry. Apologies. We are doing uh, a spotlight on uh, snake bites. Um, the, the piercings on either side of your lip that Neil used to have. <laughs> oh, yeah. And um, also, we're going to do our normal News from Terror kind of stuff as well. So let's just... Uh, oh, we can't forget the next Hobby Hangout. Yeah. So the next Hobby Hangout is um, actually going to be... Because this episode is going to go out on the 25th. We're, we're
0: um, recording on time. We're recording on time. <laughs> let's up.
1: see if the episode goes out on time. Um, it's going to go out on the 25th. Uh, so there will be a hobby hangout on the 28th, um, the following Sunday. Uh, so that's the 28th of March. That's, uh, that's a me one. Uh, I will just double check to make sure that there is an event, but I think I definitely created I believe, the event. Yeah,
0: I believe there is, yeah.
1: But the, the next hobby hangout after that is being run by Matt, uh, and that's the 25th of April.
0: Yes, last Sunday of April.
1: Last Sunday of April. Yeah, uh, we try
0: and stick to the last Sundays, unless there's something special going on for, for one of us. Mm-hmm. Um, or both of us, or three of us, or whatever.
1: That's well, interesting. Just
4: you
2: two because, yeah,
1: because Neil can't commit <laughs> to Sunday nights. <laughs> we'll
2: we'll non, get there.
0: We'll get there. Non, non we'll non-committal Neil.
1: Non-committal. We'll we'll,
0: we'll, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Don't worry. He, he's been in the chair, been been on the podcast for for X amount of months in a row. I'm sure one day we can get him to to host the hobby hang.
1: Have we all got our glasses? <laughs> is, is that? Did I just see your glasses? That glass? is a
2: thing. That is a thing. Oh yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. We are.
1: Mine's yeah. empty. I Yours empty. Uh, so for all of the people that are listening rather than watching this oh. because we don't do a video podcast, we right. all have um, Adeptus Terra tankards. Yes, um, It's probably the word. Yeah. Large yes. glasses. We, yeah. we,
0: these, these may or may not come into the Horus Heresy event that we'll be doing.
1: Mm. Uh, if that goes. Um, anyway, when that happens, not if. Um,
0: yeah, no, it's, it's happening. <laughs>
1: So that's the next Hobby Hangout. Um, there isn't really any, anything else we need to talk about. So let's move straight on to yeah. News From Terror, where this title is News From Terror being carried by Matthew. I
0: know. It's, it's, it's odd ground. It's odd. It's weird.
1: odd ground. <laughs> yeah. What well, this, month, this month has been really, really tough. Um, yeah. Like, just being... Like we're having work done on the house. Like, I'm coming up with all the excuses now where you see how I haven't done anything for the last month. Um, it's been really tough, and, and I haven't got round to doing any hobby. And actually, when I came to do these notes, um, and I had to write that as like zero, zero hobby progress. Uh, I was a bit like, actually, that's quite disappointing. Like, I, there's been plenty of time I could have, I could have painted, I could have sat there and built something. Um, I think I just need a bit of a kick up the bum and also a project to work on.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, those Blood Angels, mate. Like, if we can have a game early April outside, which is looking- target looking like yeah it.
1: that's what I'm that's what I could work towards actually end of April lockdown easing
0: mean, tr- trust me I won't be bringing a painted force but <laughs> you could put a painted force and feel good about yourself
1: <laughs> I feel good about myself anyway I'm
3: pretty um, special so yeah yeah well I've well, had the
0: opposite been...
1: yeah Matt's gone thing, Matt's right? been on one
0: yeah well so basically the last two weeks um, the kids have returned to regular in brackets life um, with Caleb going back to school so I haven't had to do any homeschooling, um, and Lucas has been at nursery as, as he has been to me fair most of the lockdown and Jenny's gone back to actually working in school rather than working at home, so I've had the house to myself. so I said to myself I'm going to take two weeks uh, just to readjust and take the Tuesdays because that's when we tend to have our kind of geek hangout in the evening where we all gather together and just geek out, play video games, chat nonsense. Um, so i was like tuesdays i'm just gonna do me days and just try and reset have a bit of space enjoy that space so the last two weeks last two tuesdays basically where all of this work has come from um i also want to highlight that there's not that much detail here it's, it probably sounds great especially compared to your guys uh, tough month had. but um yeah I'm, I'm happy with what i've achieved but there's always room for improvement um but yeah shall i jump straight in there I'm Jump kind of in, I'm yeah. kind of covering this stuff, aren't I? So sprue corner. Um, I I did these I think pretty much straight after recording, maybe the day after because whenever we record I get really hyped for hobbying, um, because just chatting Warhammer makes you really hyped about Warhammer. So I picked up a um, couple of the my bits boxes and hunted for some Mark III plastic kits, and found lots of spares enough to build a couple of dudes, um, for my crew. For my uh, converted Medusa tanks, so I've got one who's going to be kind of uh, right up against the gun. He's just, you know, reloaded it and he's starting to kind of aim for the uh, the gunner. Um, and the other guy is holding a shell, um, which I have. I haven't put the shell on the gun, but I've got a little shell. Is That's that by any a
2: chance G. a vindicator
0: shell? It is a vindicator shell. Cut down. Nice because they are ridiculously huge, and um, they, it just didn't look like it would even fit in the gun. <laughs> um, so I cut it down so it actually fit in the arms of the uh, base marine who's he's going to be kind of loading the cannon. Cool. Um, so, yeah, so they're both slightly different poses, which I think is quite nice. Just breaks up the unit a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just quick and easy, really. They're just plastic kits put together, stretched out one of the hands. So he can hold the uh, shell rather than the bolter. I just kind of stretched out the fingers, which was interesting. I was originally going to heat them, but I was like plastic, probably going to melt quite easily. Um, And I actually found that just putting them in some needle nose pliers and just very
3: slowly bending
0: them out was enough. Um, So yes, I'm I'm quite happy with those. They were probably the first thing I did this month. Um, But yeah, it means that they are I need to finish the shell guide, just get the the shell positioned correctly and glue that in, Uh, I need to find another hand for him, uh, for that guy. Um, And then maybe another open hand that I can cut up and position properly.
1: What you should do Uh, is have a guy... help you with that. You know the open palms? um, I think they hold the side of a missile launcher? Yes. you You should get two of those and have a guy covering his ears <laughs> I think that he's be... got a helmet on. Yeah, I know. So, so covering need, his ears, you would ear.
2: need to find, need to find that, a right hand because you've only got left hand
0: on those. Yeah, that's, that's fine.
1: Um, that'd be the, brilliant. Uh, that'd be wonderful.
0: It would. It, no, it's that. That's on line with uh, funny, but I would never model the you know the plasma guy. That's right. Yeah, with the hand up. <laughs> you ever seen that one? <laughs> yeah, he yeah. yeah. Kind of covering his face while he fires the plasma, which is hilarious. Really funny, but I wouldn't want that in my in my army, personally. That could um, be an angry
2: marines job, that one.
0: Yeah, yeah, all those kind of crazy poses. Uh, but yeah, that's all I did in, in build. I haven't got any new kits lying around. It's really just getting through my paint backlog. So that that's all I did um, uh, this month. You guys haven't done anything in sprue Corner, am I correct?
2: That is correct. I have not cool. achieved anything for sprue Corner.
0: No. Enough. I mean, most most of us are sitting on quite large collections of things that we can finish and are currently building armies that we don't already own. Mm. um like sam bought all these blood angels late part of last year mm. um you know you've just been working through your backlog of stuff and trying to get reintegrated into <laughs> warhammer stuff the,
2: the backlog of stuff yes yeah the huge huge ridiculous vast quantities of of gray plastic that need to be put together and then worked upon yes
0: yeah um and uh yeah like i say I, i've been kind of uh, I've had a bit of building in the past few months just because I had the conversions of the Medusa tanks, mm. which I've talked about, and I've been slowly buying up the Ultramarine Force.
2: Yeah. I, I didn't manage to get any um, uh, florist wire in the end, so I haven't been able to experiment with the, the whole tree idea of oh, making yes. a gigantic redwood-style tree for a, a, mm. a one piece of terrain that yeah, would fit yeah. on like a CD or something like that.
0: So what me so, and Jenny popped to home base or Wicks, like mm-hmm. uh, and I was like, oh, my, why? they at like foam core board. We needed some bits for the house, oh. uh, just little bits, but like, yeah, we were already in Rayleigh, I think. So we just went, oh, we'll just stop by quick and pick up. Like we needed a new shower head and and stuff. Um, so yeah, we just popped into there, and uh, I was like, oh, maybe I'll start looking at foam core board stuff that I need to build my. my um, but i was like yeah i'm not ready for that yeah i've got plenty other stuff to do indeed indeed
3: yeah i i I feel with the building like kind of feel
1: between projects only because i i don't i don't really have any i don't really have anything i need to build like like i've got the painting stuff right so i've got the blood angels that i need to paint and to be honest, I haven't got them out in so long that I I need to get them out and figure out where I am and just just yeah. throw myself into painting it. But it's that I think what I'm getting to is that last stage of the army where it's like okay, the fun is worn not the fun yeah no the fun the fun is worn off now and I just need to finish it. But I don't know I need something else, man. I need something else to do.
0: I, I do know what you mean. I, I think the the thing is right this this hobby and we've talked about it before like. Building a list, building an army, picture that you have in your head, buying, building it, painting it, flows really nicely when you have all of that stuff to do. When you're looking at something that you've already bought, you've already built, and you're kind of playing with it while painting, is nice, but it feels kind of part of your collection at that point. So you're like, yeah. it doesn't hold that special drive anymore. Um, yep. So it's like, you know, my, um, my Ultramarines, I still need a couple of tanks I need to buy and lots of it's still kind of sprue grey and I'm slowly kind of getting it all base coated and getting the blues laid down. So I, still feel, I feel like that's a very active force. Yeah, I'm worried that if I do all of that and then it's just loads of detail work on every unit, it's going to fall into that grind of kind of like, eh, a bit like Sam has with the Blood Angels. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I think we always need that kind of, maybe that next project. Um,
1: yeah. It's, but it's the worst part is I have stuff to do, right? So like I've got the ZM board and I feel like picking the next thing I need to finish the Blood Angels off which is so close so close and then I need to um, do something else I think I think if I throw myself into the ZM board get what that about, one finished when,
0: when are you going to repaint your bastions and sort out that board your realm um, or were you going to finish them I can't remember there was something
1: that, they're well they're base coated i don't think i've ever washed any of them i could do that but i think that's Uh, just just because it's
0: it's a potential board that we will need for our our event
1: oh oh (laughs) i see um yeah i feel i feel i'd I'd rather do my zm board i'm still i think that's the i think that's probably when everything opens back up again i think that's probably the game that i'm going to play the most only because they're quick games could be quick games and it and and it'll be a good way of getting back into the the rule set like because yeah. i don't have an eidetic memory i i i haven't done a 40 30k game in what a year now probably yeah. maybe maybe yeah. under just under a year
0: yeah i think you're about right
1: yeah we, and i wasn't good played, at it then
0: what, we played a game no when was our um our heresy game our little campaign i don't know
1: I think that was autumn time, isn't it? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, so I feel ZM. I think I might do that because I've got loads of little bits of terrain. And actually, I could pick up some scattered terrain for ZM and paint all that up. Like, I've got so much of it anyway. Um, Maybe I'll do that. Just get back into it. And at least it's quick win stuff, right? So it's painting up a set of pipes, it's painting up those, um, the forklifts and stuff and on that that's where i can practice like the rusting effect using the hairspray and yeah give it a crack yeah, no, i think
0: i think that sounds that sounds
1: huge anyway painting.
0: I de- I- Go on. Yeah, Sorry. yeah we're kind of in painting now um i was just gonna say that's kind of similar to me i was like right i'm gonna take these two weeks to have a, a full day of just kind of doing some hobby and relaxing you know so i wasn't like full out like oh how much can i get done but i just wanted to and I have a relaxing day, and, and I, I kind of went. If I'm having a relaxing day, I'm not going to do the things I have been doing, like playing the Xbox, um, you know, just chilling on my phone, watching, catching up with Twitch channels. I was like, No, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to do some hobby because I do enjoy it, and it'll be a good way of kind of feeling good about when when we came to record, that I'd be able to go, Yeah, I achieved something. Um, so yeah, just jumped off of your kind of point of those easy wins and going for the zm um do you want me to jump into all that or do you want uh to jump in Neil before i just carry on
2: um yeah i'll uh i'll just jump in quickly and on the subject of the M boards um i did make a i say a strong start the plan was to make a strong start and get stuff <laughs> painted um so i was like yeah yeah we can do this I primed one of the ZM boards, and that's about as far as I got due to uh, wonderful things happening at work and the stresses of real life taking over again. Mm. Uh, But I did, yeah, at least I did actually do something rather than nothing full stop. Mm. So, which, while not as much as I wanted to do, was at least a step in the right direction.
0: Mm, that's cool. That's cool. And that that ZM tile is it's not for a full ZM board, is it? You're no, doing it's, like a...
2: It's, it's going to be something to do with a industrial cargo transference because mm. you know somebody works in the port industry.
0: you have Move. your hobby imitate your life.
2: Moving moving containers around and all that, Jess. So yeah, I thought, why not?
0: Mm, that's cool. Uh, so yeah, back back to me again. Um, so I. Um, Got the second blue. So I think last month I talked about laying the first blue down on the Xiphon Interceptor. So this is, uh, again, this is in the first week of the month after recording. So uh, I laid the second blue down on the Xiphon and then laid all the silver uh, paintwork down um, on the Hobby Hangout. Um, So I just spent those three hours laying down all the silvers It's one of those things, right? Like I I was on the hangout, and Tanel was like, "Why aren't you just airbrushing the silvers?" And I was like, "Well, because the whole kit's fully built, and it's a pain in the bum, and some of it's quite small, and and also I'm a little bit scared to do that." (laughs) Um, So I was just sitting there, kind of hand painting all the silver on. Yeah, like the turbines and stuff are quite big and could have easily been done with uh, an airbrush. But yeah, there's all the little kind of sensors or lights, like with all the kind of uh, lights and sensors, I paint them silver, and then I use the Eldar gemstone over the top uh-huh. to give them a, gla- a glossy kind of you know, glass shine. Um, so I needed to paint all those individually silver. Um, and yeah, just got all that all laid out, so I was quite happy with that. Um, I haven't done anything since the hangout on the Xyphon because uh, I did a bit of a butterfly thing, and rather than going, I'm going to focus on this, I'm going to do some other stuff. Um one of the main reasons for that is airbrushing can be tough with the kids because I have my own room upstairs. I'm sitting in it now. I've got an airbrush uh, booth, so I can airbrush inside. I don't need any crazy air ventilation or anything to does it all for me. Um, but the, the sound of it and the compressor is right next to, you know, like one of my son's bedrooms and it's like, can't do it when they sleep. It's just too loud. So we need to build you a compressor box. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I probably should do next. Um, but it's just like, I can't do it during the day because they're around. I can't do it in the evening because they're asleep. It's really whether Jenny gives me some time in the weekend to get some airbrushing. So I thought on the first Tuesday that Ed was back at school, I was like, I'm going to do some airbrushing. So I got both blues laid out on my one of my land raiders. Um, so some marked two land raiders with the Ford World sponsors and stuff. Okay. Um and I also then went on to lay all the silver down again uh, with, uh, through a paintbrush. Um, so that's at the same level as the one is now. Um, so I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, what else did I do? I also base-coated two Predators. So I did my armor Predator, which is my HQ unit, one with a conversion beamer is um main turret
1: did you do that with an airbrush in the end because i know you were talking about doing that no, do so with I've,
0: I've I've got i've got a rattle can left so i went i'm just going to use like this rattle can and then i'm going to transfer to priming with the airbrush yeah um just because i've done want paints in around in a rattle can that i could use um so yeah I and mean, actually i got those two done i've still got a bit left, so i'm going to try and maybe get the last two uh two, no last three predators probably won't get that far but um but yeah, I've cool. got three, three more to undercoat. But, um, yeah, so they were quite quick, easy wins. I actually did one of them yesterday while Lucas snapped in his rattle can. I did it um, downstairs in the garden. Um, it was nice weather, so that's nice. It's finally becoming nice weather to air br- uh, spray paint outside and do all those lovely things that you want to do. Um,
1: so, talking, oh, obviously painting tables, so it's probably a great space to talk about it. Neil will probably know this, or maybe Matt. How do you do the
3: uh, hairspray rust technique? You mean
0: uh, chipping?
4: Yeah.
0: So, so you kind of, well, it depends on what you're going to use, but there's like, you can get chipping medium. You just paint underneath, paint the, uh, then you can paint the colour on the top. But, sorry, I've jumped in a stage. You paint your like whatever silver, say underneath. Then you put your chipping medium over in blobs where you want to chip, um, and then you paint it your armor color or whatever you want to paint it. And then you take like a toothbrush or whatever and just scrub off, and the chipping medium will peel the paint, the top layer off. Okay.
1: And and, well. and obviously applying the chipping medium is it a case of just using like a toothpick?
0: Um, it depends how big you want to go. Paintbrush, toothpick cotton bud
1: like because looking at like actual chipping right it's not like huge chunks off so
0: no i mean you can get that can't you You can get pe- peeling away and stuff it does have that effect that's only one method though you can the hairspray is kind of because it's sticky spray hairspray then you use something like salt so uh, salt down then you spray it your top color and then you use a brush with water that dissolves the salt and scrub it and that'll take the um the, the it, top layer away
2: again yeah you're kind of on the right lines with that um it works exactly the same as chipping medium but you can use it yeah to stick the salt on as well as um using the hairspray as like a chipping medium in addition and then you get a brush use your water it will reactivate the hairspray which will allow you to scrub that section off and also knock
0: the salt i have a book
2: somewhere
5: yeah,
0: I've, uh, there's a there's a cutout I've got of the G, uh, Games Workshop once did a whiteboard article on salt chicken. Um, I've got that
1: somewhere. Um, yeah, but I've,
0: yeah, I've always been worried about doing the brush work on the top layer and just scraping too much of the paint away or being too rough yeah. with it. Because it, um, it it'll
1: be perfect for like those. I was just thinking about for for the um for the the little vehicles, the little lifter vehicles that I've got for the ZM. It'll be perfect for those. Mm-hmm. As well as yeah. laying in some scorch marks and
0: I, I love sponge chipping because you can get you can get quite easily. You've got to keep practicing it, but you can quite easily get that chipping effect without having to worry about layers. You're just adding paint, right? Yeah. It, it does the the different layers does give a better aspect. I would I would argue because you have got you know, even though a paint a, a, yeah, a layer of paint um is quite obviously but you can still see it. So yeah. it does give you that deep kind of rust and that deep chipping, like paint work is chipped away. Um, but I find the, the sponge is just quicker, safer and easier.
1: Yeah. So I depends seen, I've, on
0: how deep you want to go.
1: Because I've seen your sponge work, right? And it looks really good, but whenever I've tried it, it just doesn't look like that. It just looks like I'm it's trying to sponge on paint.
0: It is just about practicing it. And less just, is more. Yeah, less, less paint, less paint, less paint. And probably a smaller... So I've started using tweezers and a tiny bit of sponge to stop me doing too much, Mm. especially on inventory, like small areas, you know, tiny bit of sponge on a, on a tweezer dab dab in the paint about 10 minutes on some tissue.
2: I don't know if you can see that, Sam, is that kind of effect you want or do you? Yeah. So
1: I guess it's for for my head in terms of colors, right? I would do probably a silver base coat with a little bit on, then a browny-orange coat with a little bit more on on top, like a salt or whatever, medium. Yeah, in
0: different areas and stuff. Yeah,
1: and then the actual colour I'm going to use. Yeah, so you've and got then like, almost three different
0: colours. Because then
1: you've got, effectively, for a vehicle, for like primer, primer rust type looking. And you can even do that. You can even do four. You can even do silver, Orange, brown, and then the top color. But then you're putting on four layers of paint. I guess yeah. you'd only do it in the areas you're going to have it on, right? You wouldn't necessarily do it yeah. over the entire thing.
0: Yeah, no, you're not covering the whole thing, no. Way. Um, I mean, you, you'll probably end up spraying the whole thing, and so like you know, like if you're using hairspray, you're going to end up covering a large chunk of your tank, right? But that's or, where.
2: Or yeah. you can spray it into the cap, and you collect it and then use a paintbrush to paint it on instead.
0: Yeah, or like a a cotton bud. Yeah. 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 If you you don't want to ruin a paintbrush, if you haven't got an old paintbrush, just use a cotton bud and just tap it into the areas you want.
1: Yeah, I might Um, give it a go over the next month. Yeah. Trying that out will make me want to paint more.
2: (laughs) Have you got any um, blister pack plastic that you could try it on so you don't do it on the model Thus. If it doesn't come out with the effect, you haven't
0: ruined anything. You've, you've probably got some Rhino doors laying around, right? Or Rhino
1: yeah. doors, yeah. My only concern is they're different materials, right? Because Rhinos, obviously, the plastic and and the vehicle ones yeah. are are resin 3D yeah. printed. You're putting,
0: you're putting it over paint. Yeah, so you're, not okay. have... you're not you're not you're not putting the hairspray down on your resin, so it's it's yeah. paint is your your You've, se-
2: you've, you've sealed it already. Okay, yeah. I respect.
1: All right, I will give it a go. I'll give yeah. some practices,
2: give cool. me something to do. Well, so last, that, lastly, bored.
0: yeah, that'd be cool. Um, but yeah, lastly, the only thing I've done other than all that kind of base coating and airbrushing was I painted up my bases that I got from Unreal Wargaming Studios for my Terminators. Cool. Um, they're the same urban rubble that I've been using for the whole force, so it ties them all in. Um, uh yeah, they're just to be honest, they're quick dry brush and then um rusted metal, which I I follow the games workshop rusted method, which is like rhinox oxide base, uh typhus corrosion, riser rust, and then um uh, either a paintbrush or um sponge chip on the silvers, uh, which is just a nice easy effect um uh, to pull off and Uh, Yeah, so they didn't take too long, and then I glued the the terminators to them. um, So they're they're complete and finished, which is really nice to actually finish a unit. Um, uh, The only other thing that I did of note to them is I did a new way of doing leather, which I'm quite happy with. Um, So this follows a Instagram um, uh, post that I saw that I thought, oh, I'll give that a go, and it uses uh, ink. And um, so you, you paint your leather black and then you uh, use an off-white. So I used Utham Grey. Um, you could use pallid rich flesh if you wanted a bit more of a creamy colour. You could use Ooshbatty Bone if you wanted some, um, like, yeah, that real kind of cream colour.
2: I love the pronunciation of that paint name.
0: Ooshbatty Bone.
2: Ushabti.
0: Ooshbatty. Yeah, whatever. Ooshbatty. Um uh, yeah, you use that and then you basically layer on your ink over the top, which turns the black to dark brown, of course, and then turns the, the light colours that you've used to make all your kind of um, edge highlighting, but also your chipping. You almost do kind of, you know how leather gets cracked and looks warm. That's what you're using the light colour for. You're doing tiny, tiny little notches and, and uh, creases where you think it might have got folded or bent. Um and then, yeah, paint the brown ink on. And then you use, I think it's Bane Blade Brown was suggested in the um, tutorial. And you use that as your final edge height and a tiny little bit more hatching. Um, and then done. And I was quite happy with how it came out. I need to work better on using inks. It was the first ink that I've really used. Um, and I kind of used it a bit more like a wash and put a bit too much on. And had to kind yeah. of wipe it away, and, and, and it's one of those things that takes a few layers to get the brown really showing, yeah. Um, so it's just patience. Um, but I was quite happy first go turned out I've got some a uh, couple of loincloths still to do uh, that I want to do in that style on the ultramarine. I think the breacher sergeant, and, um, I think a couple of the suzerains have uh, loincloths are um unpainted, so I'm gonna paint them up in that as well so they all match um but yeah that was that was probably the only other thing of note that i did on the terminators was that little bit of leather
3: that is my painting cool awesome oh
0: cool sorry i was gonna jump in but you're you're kind of running the show
1: always um cool so let's uh take a quick break and then we're going to come back with our warp storm poll um and uh it's a good one this time so it's if you could have if you could have gw redo of current vehicle kit what would it be and why and there were some interesting responses to this There was. Which i is was cool.
0: quite surprised by this
1: yeah so uh take a quick break and come back with that thank you i didn't mean to say thank you thank you's weird right why would i say thank you
0: can You can just cut that you can just cut that i'd just cut that ha ha ha
1: ha
5: The tendrils of The Warp are far-reaching and communicating using the great social media Anonymicon. Do I... What's that? Do I have to say that?
1: Yeah, it's a uh, Keeper Anonymicon.
5: Anonymicon. Anyway, it's apparently never been easier. Reach out and connect. Find them on the Adeptus Terror podcast page on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash the Adeptus Terror podcast and the Adeptus Terror Podcast Community Safe room Facebook group www.facebook.com forward slash T-A-T-P room. You can also connect to them on Instagram to see some of what they get up to in between episodes at the Adeptus Terror Podcast. Give these losers a break and please give them a like and a follow. Thanks, guys.
1: hello uh, welcome bra- uh, brack welcome brack guys <laughs> welcome good brack. good job there uh words Release are really bracken. hard do you know I, I've had like three coffees I should be super flipping awake um <laughs> anyway, we just had a, a very long break um longer than we normally do between these segments and that was quite good so um anyway you don't know that because it's been about 30 seconds of that advert. Um, but <laughs> in reality behind the
0: curtain behind the, the curtain
1: it's been 9 hours. We've been talking yeah. for 9, nine hours. hours. It
0: definitely <laughs> not. has not been. It feels been, like 9 hours, but talked, it has we, not been that. We've
1: hours. done 34 minutes of the episode, but 9 hours have passed. Anyway,
0: yeah, well we've been together for a few hours now. So <laughs> that kind of Indeed. puts into highlight.
1: Okay, we should definitely talk faster. So, this segment is the Warpstorm poll. Uh, so the Warpstorm poll, the question we asked um well, the Warpstorm poll for those new people that obviously have joined us uh, is where we go and ask a question to our community in the community safe room, which is on Facebook. If you want to go across Don't, and go um, and join us, go it's and awesome. join us and ask some questions, answer some questions um, for the Warpstorm poll. So this month we asked our listeners if you could have GW redo a current vehicle kit which would it be and why? So if you could have GW redo a current vehicle kit, which would it be and why? And there is a bit of an apology in here because Matt, when he put up the poll question, I, did not I, pin I did it not to the top. Up,
0: I, did, I did not put up he the poll. He did pole. not
1: pin, pin it to the top.
0: Who, who put up the poll, Sam?
1: Who does everything in this relationship, Matt?
0: Yes, exactly,
1: you. <laughs> um, so it was not pinned to the top. So it, it didn't get as many answers as we perhaps liked. Um, however... Those that did answer, thank you very much. And I know Matt went out with a bit of a, a plea on uh, last <laughs> night to get some yeah. last-minute answers, um, which I think we saw quite a lot of, which was quite cool. Um, so, um, like I said, it's if you could have GW redo a current vehicle kit, which would it be and why? So we've got some, uh, some, some of the comments here. Um, and we're just going to go through, read them, and we'll talk about them uh, as, uh, as kits. So, Neil, you are the chosen one. I am the chosen one.
2: I was supposed to bring balance to the podcast. And instead um,
1: you just killed a load of children.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, and then got disowned. Um, right. Okay. So we're starting off with Pete and Michael War. Have you ever tried putting a corn blood slaughterer together? Now, personally, no, I haven't, but from the sounds of things, I definitely don't want to.
0: It's a fun forge world
2: kit. It's a forge world kit. And... Uh, Uh, Yes, if you have, then this is the only option. (laughs) Basically, it has got many, many, many bits of sharp resin um, and also trying to glue the legs together and gluing the legs and posing it. Apparently, is very, very, very difficult.
0: Uh, That sounds being all professional, Neil. There you go, you can see. Ooh,
2: and um, yeah, it looks looks really nice. It does look very... uh, demonic and ties in nicely with the uh, brass scorpion as well yeah
0: and the uh, is it the decimator i think so the, uh, so for those Ford that Ford
1: Ford can't see my screen that i'm sharing because we are an audible podcast rather than a visual <laughs> podcast um the corn blood slaughterer looks like the cross between a uh, knight uh, with the carapace shoulders and and, and body um, and okay. uh, a, a, a Necron. So it's like a chaos, a, a chaos Knight and a Necron had some babies um, and outcrawled, or I'm guessing what? with this one, it cut itself out. Um, it is a a, a vampiric-looking evil mother. Um, and uh, it it seems it's not that big. I always thought it was a bit bigger um, looking at the picture. I'm going to take this a step further and
2: say it looks like a cross between a lobster, and a Necron. That's, yeah. That's a,
0: that's a good way of talking about it, especially okay. as it's painted red on board Yeah, Yeah. Go, a- go check it out. I actually really like this kit in terms of aesthetics. I understand the, the building hey. process may be an issue, and I can understand why it was voted for.
1: Do you think it, with it, do you think, obviously it's got, like, talony legs, um, yeah. like, pointy legs. Do you think each of these are individual
0: uh probably i think you um yeah i think it might suffer from the same issue that the um bio titan for the oh yes has, where the legs splay out and trying to right. put all glue this while all the weight is on those little legs because that body is probably very heavy it's probably I think chunky I'd yeah t- i'd be tempted to drill into the bottom and put a clear rod in and have it on a clear base and then just have the legs kind of then you can position them and have them touching the ground yeah. but there's not weight on them. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah They've yeah, got their right. classic uh, resin photo where it shows all of the ball yeah, joints they are and definitely, stuff.
2: They're oh definitely individual bits that you put together. So, yeah. Wow.
1: I get it. I get it. Uh, yeah, Michael. It was Michael, that... wasn't it? Was it Michael?
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, I get it, Michael. Yeah. That looks like an absolute pig to put together. <laughs>
2: Indeed.
1: Uh, next up, uh, Matt, do you want to do Adam's one?
0: Yeah. So Adam um, said, uh, it's a tough question. There's only a few kits that have big issues visually, Uh, but I went for the Storm Raven uh, because it's an awesome idea, but the figure doesn't live up to it unless you use a third-party conversion kit, which I don't know what third-party conversion kit you're talking about. But I was quite surprised by this. Now, I'm not a massive fan of the Storm Raven, but I'm happy enough to go, yeah, there's definitely better kits out there that you can change, right? um, I don't know. Seeing it now does look pretty bad.
1: So I've I have put together a, I've put together a number of these, right?
0: Oh yeah, you used to have like four. Or something. Oh yeah,
1: flight of the Valkyries was my was my 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 go to. Anyway, so uh, I've put together a number of these kits, and I've put together a number of um the uh, other like Valkyries and, and 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 the like. And you've put together a part of this kit because you you yes, had I um the storm. Um, I, Eagle. I
0: decided to go. know oh, I decided right. to go one one worse than a storm Raven and go for the Fire Raptor. Now, yeah. if you want a kit that's difficult to put together, buy yourself a Fire Raptor. But I would say the Storm Raven looks like a bad, uh, crashed, head-on-into-a-wall Storm Eagle. Because the Storm Eagle looks like what a Storm Raven should look
1: like. Yeah, I'd give you that, actually, like the, yeah. The,
0: stretch, the stretched-out body really does something for the shape. Yeah. So This looks really weird.
1: This was one of their first flyers. Like it was, for for storm yeah. for for uh, space marines, right? Well, it was yeah. the
0: only it was the only flyer, right? This is out before the storm talent, I think. Because you it had it, it raider came raider out with yeah.
2: the Grey Knights and the Blood Angels got redone. Because c- c- you can uh, see yes.
1: you can see that they've clearly gone Okay, so we, we basically want to have the cross between a land raider and a and a vendetta. And
0: the, well it's the middle bit of a land raider, right? It's the middle bit of a land raider with a canopy on the front. Yeah, uh, without the tracks and then just stick some wings somewhere at the back there
1: i Jet think any engine, yeah. any uh any gw photo where the <laughs> pieces help. don't actually line up to the kit that they've built so on the, the <laughs> ultramarine version the the ramp at the front which is a free moving ramp which is quite which is quite a nice touch like actually this is a very nice kit in terms of the way they thought about it like all yeah. of the uh, all of the engines, the down thrusters move, or the doors yeah, in open. In terms the, the, of
0: assembly, it's a nice kit. Yeah. yeah,
1: but it just it just looks a little bit ugly. Um, and you know what also really annoys me. Do you know what also really annoys me with this kit? Right. So the top gunner, it's got two lance can LAS cannons on the side, and they can be um, they can be plasmas or they can be uh, assault, assault cannons. cannons yeah. um, and it only has like a hundred and ten degrees of movement because it can't turn fully to the side. because Because the piece piece hits into it so as long as you attack it from the front and don't try and go behind that peripheral then then it will you'll be able to get shot
0: this is days of firing arcs, and they want i think at this stage they wanted the rear of flies to be vulnerable because the whole thing of um maneuverability and trying to dogfight was really big deal right
4: yeah um
0: so i don't have a massive problem with that in terms of a, a design yeah. then of a, a functional weapon, you'd probably go, yeah, why have they done that? But I mean, you could, you could pick about a billion kits of Games Workshop. Like, yeah. It's sci-fi. It it's it's matter, limitations, it right?
1: Otherwise, it becomes this super-duper 360 fire turret, right? It's limitations. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? This looks like uh, a Land Rover Defender 90 and the Storm, Ra- uh, the Storm Eagle looks like the 110 version, right? It looks like this one's just the cut-down, <laughs> stub-nose... Yes. This is Just your sawn off shotgun. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. exactly. Okay, cool. I like that one. Uh, next up, we have James Gibb. So James Gibb has, has gone for the Talon Master because he says, technically, there is a kit, being the upgrade sprue in the standard land... Uh, and a landed stand... Uh, a standard <laughs> la- land speeder. A landed stand uh, speeder uh in in a world of uh in GW world of no model no rules this guy is a halfway house they are easy enough to kitbash but uh become really quite pricey to build and gatekeep against inexperienced young hobbyists there is so much potential to have a stretch land speeder somewhere in between old and new uh, and lots of iconography like the Dark Talon, and a mysterious coffin shaped storage area for something you may find fallen on the floor while out cruising.
3: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> Good joke there. Well done, James. Uh, a Forge World uh, model of the Talon Master has a lot of potential and could be used as a 30k special unit as well. So, the Talon Master, um, it, it kind of threw us uh, because. There wasn't a lot of uh, pictures online. We couldn't find it on the GW website, so I'm going to take it as it doesn't exist anymore. However, we managed to find uh, a picture on on our trusty Lexicarnum. Uh, so the 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 Talon Master looks just like a normal land speeder, but it's everything is dual wielding. Um, so and, uh, and
0: it's got a big book on the front, and, and it's got a big book the big on
1: the cook. front. Yeah, yeah. So it's like that. It's like that. Um, the the starship we don't talk about anymore. Uh, yes. Um, so it's got dual-wielding... Uh, what are they called? Assault cannons underneath. Oh. A dual-wielding...
0: Oh, rather than to... dual-wielding, I believe the term is twin linked. So.
1: Oh, I need oh, to interrupt. Nice. Does this mean <laughs> that on the front of this,
2: the book splits apart and then a plasma cannon comes out to fire?
1: Well, no, it's Dark Angel, so I'm, sure, I'm assuming they just fire fallen at people. <laughs> or little oh. gremlins or whatever it is. Anyway, so they have a twin-linked... Uh, assault cannon underneath they have a twin linked storm bolter on uh uh, being um with the co-pilot you've got a sword with the with the, the the driver the driver because you know you want you don't want two hands on the wheel at any time and he's got and that is technically um twin linked because the little gremlin on top of it also has a sword
0: uh, That's so like a little statue. It's a statue. It's, <laughs> it's not
1: one of the, what they call the little gremlins that run yeah, around after them. I,
0: I I get what James means. You could easily build this out of some of the dark angel specific, like the dark shroud and whatever the other one's called. Yeah. You've got the, you've
1: got the talon, which is, I'm pretty sure has candles on yeah, top I of mean, it. I mean,
0: you turn, you turn that heavy bolt to twin linked and mount a uh, twin linked assault cannon on the bottom. Yeah. And so, you're, you're done.
1: So this is the, <laughs> this is the dark shroud peculiar statue land speeder that i'm assuming has a function um
0: yes it used to be pretty cool actually but i don't know what it does do you think
1: it's it's there to to lure fallen dark angels towards them (laughs) and then (laughs) be like must resist must resist (laughs) oh it's even got stained glass windows oh of course
0: it has the dark angels
1: makes so much Um, sense doesn't it
0: one issue i do take is part of his argument is that it's a bit of a gatekeep and pricey to build because it's a halfway house right yeah yeah, yeah. and then his last comment is a ford world model would be great <laughs> oh, I, i'm pretty sure that price may do a, a slightly different uh, gatekeep but it will still be quite pricey
1: still be gatekeepery um, um so, so yeah neil next up is ryan fuller cool
2: ryan fuller
1: And he hates Hellbrutes. Ryan
2: Fuller. Yes. Uh, He uh, recently built a Hellbrute, or an Hellbrute? A Hellbrute. Um, And he doesn't visually care for the organic slash mechanical blend and uh, felt it's rather difficult to paint.
1: So they've got this weird, so hellbrute models looking at it now. It's,
2: it's, it's, dread, it's a Dreadnought, but it's organic. Oh, they've changed. Kind
0: of. They have changed. So they have updated this kit from what you're probably thinking of. You're probably thinking yeah. of the one. The Dreadnought with that the thing
2: exploding.
0: Yeah, that that was coming from, Oh, was it Dark Vengeance? Vengeance, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's the one most people have. So it's got the big weird fist up in the air and a multi-melter hand and the front's all open up. The proper box kit is better, but I, it still has a bit of that element in it. Um, I, when I come to my, at the end, we're going to talk about our own choices and why. And I feel what he's talking about here. And I will talk more about the kit that I chose.
1: So I, what I don't understand with these, right, is um, there isn't, there isn't a, a, a space marine inside. There is. No, no, There's, but it's yeah. like a sarcophagus, right? It's it's not like it's not like a, a terminator suit. He's not his legs aren't where the legs are. So yes. where did the skin come from?
0: It just kind of grew because it, of the it's, demonic it's, possession. It's, it's, so we're yeah, saying that the
1: demon. demon caused
0: it? So so this is my problem with chaos kits in general, right? If you go back to the corn slaughterer, for example, I'm not saying you necessarily need to on your screen, Sam, but you know, it was all very mechanical but looked very demon like in design. Also, if you check out the um Forge World Decimator, which is like a big different type of dreadnought um, it's not classified as a as a dreadnought it's its own unit right very mechanical, looks unique, has the chains around the driver's port to say there's something in there that we want to keep in, which is normally where the domicmic the uh the I can't speak now. Demonic. Uh, words, thank you. Possession uh, is held, um, and and it just it has a unique look to it, right? The Games Workshop plastic stuff, newer stuff like the Dinobots, uh, the Hell Drake, uh, the Hell Brute, are more animalistic than the Forge World variants, and I really don't like it. The organic way of going, I'm just not a fan of.
1: Yeah, it is slightly weird, isn't it?
0: It's just a design choice to make them look like. Look at the Lord of Bane. Is it the Lord Obeyent? Oh. No. no, Lord Discordant. Yeah, this is the one. Oh, this one. That's the one I meant. Yeah, yeah. Like, it looks awesome. It's a dude riding a giant mechanical scorpion. Yeah. Like, it's so cool. It doesn't have a crazy... Like, it's got a couple of fleshy bits, I suppose. But, um... It's, it's very a robot, minimal, right?
1: At that point, it's it's yes. it's more of yeah. a robot than anything else.
0: It's they're supposed to be demonically possessed engines, which the Dark Mechanicum have kind of fused together. Yeah, and I think the the current forty k plastic kits do not show that. The Hellbrute is too organic, as well as things like a giant flying dragon. I'm not a massive fan of, um, and I kind of really get it. Cool, but...
1: I kind of get it when it's like when it's space marines, so like, for example, let's have a look, where I was just seeing it, um, when they're the space marines, okay, so the, the noise marine upgrade pack, um, is all arms, that's fine, I, I get it when it's actually a space marine, and the skin is kind of molded to the armor, so you see quite yeah. a lot in the heresy, when the, the, legions, when okay. the legions turn to chaos, um, that they can't take their helmets off, because they've become one, right, they've, they've started molding into it, so I get that, but it's just a, is a little bit weird with the, uh, when the chaos spawns are great. I love the chaos spawns. Yeah, I love
0: chaos spawns. Um, yeah. yeah, I think the problem is, right, like you've still got the tanks and stuff and they've never had that look. Like the defiler, which is a super old kit, doesn't have that look. It's very mechanical. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I think that's where for me, they went wrong in design choice or I just don't like it. Maybe probably saying they went wrong is I'm not a designer. That's, take that back um i'm just not a fan of the more organic way they've gone with the Dinobots, which you can see there the mauler fiend and the ford Fiend. um as well as the hell drake uh, which is very mechanical um but is still a giant dragon i'm not a massive fan of my <laughs> fantasy and sci-fi I, I like to keep separate
1: you don't want a t-rex I like, like i
0: know i don't want to be
1: ridden by a space wolf
0: no yeah. So, yeah this is going into my choice later on but um I, yeah, the Hellbrute is just a no-no for me. I, I'd rather buy a Decimator from Forge Worlds, spend that extra money, and run it as a Dreadnought.
4: Yeah, yeah so I get that. I'm so still that.
0: very sad that Forge World got rid of the, all their box Dreadnoughts. The Chaos ones were phenomenal. Yeah. The old metal Dr- Chaos Dreadnought was possibly one of the best they ever did. And uh, I wish they'd just remade that in plastic.
2: So this kind of reflects uh, Ryan's view in the sense that he wished it would either go in one direction or the other, either be fully mechanical or be some kind of organic.
1: Sorry.
2: Apologies.
0: Electric, <laughs> yeah. That was so funny. Sam was like waving like, Neil, stop, pause, I need to sneeze. And you just carried on. It was great.
1: Sorry. Go on, Neil. Carry on. Well
2: held. Well held, yeah. So it's, it's yeah, The either going full mechanical again, a la Chaos Decimator Demon Engine, or... Going more organic with it, potentially, but who knows? Mm-hmm. I think yeah, no, just I'm, I'm fully
0: on too. that. Yeah, no, I'm f- I'm fully on that. I wish they'd go back to the full robotic but essence of demon rather than like, hey, look, I'm growing flesh.
1: <laughs> hey, or look, uh, or, I'm, I'm flesh cool. with metal.
0: Yeah, or I'm a giant animal rather than a tank. Like, I just I'm just not there for it.
1: Yeah, I get that. But
0: some, some people love it, so yeah, fair enough, but it's just not for me. Matt. Um, next, yes, next is Paul Spuddy Shore. Um, I've gone with the Land Raider as it's 20 years old and could really do with a bit of TLC, as the gaps in the kit while gluing it together can be stupidly big. Now, again, this is an assembly point, like the Corn Slaughterer, I think, was the first one, which was mainly about the assembly problems. Um, I quite like the Land Raider.
1: What is, so I, I, I agree with him. I think the kits, you do sometimes get a really poor, poor um, example. You get a really poor one and the gaps are insane. Um, I think the what I really like about the Land Raider is it's classic, um, same chassis, different requirement, right? So let's face it, you've got the Land Raider, you've got the Crusader, you've got the Redeemer, you've got the Venerable. Um, and they're all the same apart from the guns they come with, right? Um, which I really, yeah. I really, really like. And obviously you've yeah. got the Forge World ones, um, like the Proteus, the Armored Proteus, um, which again slightly different look. Um, but then you've got the the Mark II B Land Raider, which I've I've got. I don't know if you guys have got. Uh, any I've of got them. two. I got you,
0: two you, of those. In two. My ultramarines force. Uh,
1: and then you've got the Grey Knights Redeemer, which is basically just a Flamer variant, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, also just they have like so oh, different. It's the psi, weapons. It's the Psy
1: cannon on the front that you get differently. Um yes. I, I, I agree, I think they're quite an old kit. I think they they shouldn't change them though. I think if they're gonna they should fix the issue with the that he mentioned where they don't really meet up very well. It's a very old but very old kit. Yeah, um, on that alone
0: it's a reasonable selection to redo.
1: But um yeah, I think there's some
0: far better for design reasons, I took this as a very design-based thing. Whereas some people, I think, took it as an assembly point thing, which, mm, which yeah. is really valid. I just had not thought
1: about it. I've got. A, I think I know what the next poll should be. What is your favorite land raider?
0: <laughs> not this time. I've already got. The you already got it this time. in place.
1: Favorite land raider and and why? Okay, cool. Anyway, <laughs> um, Mike Parker. Uh, Mike Parker has said I'm going on Matt's suggestions. Uh, of the Viper. It's very old and like most of the Elder range. Yeah, they, they, so mm. I thought, I thought the Elder were going to get new kits. Like,
0: yeah, well, they, they kind of started doing their, um, like, things like the Howling Banshees and stuff, didn't they? They yeah. didn't go very far. And yeah, no, I... so again, <laughs> I, I think what I said last episode was that if I was picking just off the bat, I may go with like the Elder range because like, I love the Viper, I think it's so iconic. But imagine that in today's level of skill and, and detail, I think it would just look ten times yep. better. It would be so nice. But my choice isn't actually out. that. I remember when this came out. Do
3: you? You're really old. Yeah,
0: yeah. I remember having like five of them, and I never played either.
1: I I think they are really great. I think I would perhaps, like aesthetically, I would um, encase them both in, in inside the vehicle. Uh, yeah well always... I don't
0: know the back the idea is the back kind of a proper swivel around right but if yeah. yeah. you put a hard shell around him it's a bit more limited in terms of turning
1: yeah but you could just like you know like dual cockpits on a on a um, on like a fast jet right have them in there then yeah. just have a, have an underslung gun and have that yeah on the you, pivot.
0: you could do that I think I wouldn't play with it too much I would just take so you know the Dark Elder Venom yeah which it holds like five people or whatever I would yeah. take that and develop a further bit on the kit, where you can have the guy on the spinning turret above it, and then you've got a kind of cool halfway house. Like obviously, yeah. the Venom is a bit dark elder. You would change it slightly. It is. But I think that's the kind of size and scale that I would go for a viper.
1: Like it, it is slightly um, tyrannid. Like the ribs <laughs> along the bottom, it reminds me of the tyrannid yeah. ribs. Yeah, and it's, then
0: it's kind of yeah, it does have that. It could do with a more elegant Wraithbone. But, but I'm, I'm guessing it's because of bone,
1: right? That's what they've gone with bone. That's Yeah, because, yeah,
0: well, way back when, that's how they did red bone. It just looked like bone on the exterior. They've, they've uh, adapted that as they've gone. in So, because do we they're think, better at designing stuff.
1: Do we think Tyranids are, are elder? Fallen yeah. elder?
0: <laughs> tyranids like to eat
1: elder. Tyranids like to yeah. eat elder. But it does look like, you know, the witches, they have the the, the green goblin surfboards. Um, yeah, well, so It Dark looks elder, just elder, like a. It looks just like, like one of those just stuck to the back of the front of a um, yep. uh, of an Eldar flyer grav tank. But anyway, I'm not a designer, but I, I quite like it. Like I would perhaps uh, make it so that I this love moves. The aesthetic. Like it'd be good if this back piece pivots. the The gunner he sat in, yeah. a, in a cockpit. Um, I
0: think that was my point as well. It was it wasn't necessarily it's a bad kit, but yeah. that is a very old kit, and if they yeah. can redo it with today's kind of technology design cad whatever you want to say i don't know all the correct terms but um you could have that turret spin you could have a a better fleshed out shape with more detail um change the wraith bone up and it would look very similar yeah it's new in a new incarnation i think it would look just gorgeous
1: yeah uh and then we have one final one and we've already kind of (laughs) talked about the kit anyway um, but that's... I, I just loved how blunt it was. Just it is that. very blunt. Daniel A-ky.
0: says the Storm Raven is pretty ugly. Yeah. And actually, looking at it today, I'm yeah. kind of with him. Like before, when I saw those and I was putting them in the show notes, I was like, "Man, the Storm Raven's getting ragged on. It's all right." And then I saw it and was like, "Oh, oh maybe, I maybe it's edges. not all right. <laughs>
1: maybe I was wrong."
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I never owned one. I just used to blow them up out of the I sky.
1: I, I, I think they're fine. They look very, they're very on brand to space marine vehicles, right? Here's yeah. a flying brick. It's like the, like the Gladiator Lancer. Like, it, it looks exactly yeah. the same, apart from I mean, the it's thing, wings.
0: The thing that I found funny is when I saw Storm Raven, I was like, how are people ragging on the Storm Raven when they're not ragging on, say, a Space Wolf brick that is literally a brick? Um, their flyer is unbelievably awful. Yeah. And uh, there was something another kit popped into my head. I think they're because they're assault ram. Well, yeah, I love the Cessus assault ram. Yeah, I love the assault ram. But if you take half of it, if you cut that thing in half, you get two space wolf flyers. You see, yeah, genuinely look at oh, it's so bad.
1: (laughs) Do you think, looking at all the pictures at the moment on for space marines, do you think the storm raven and uh, the land speeder? Uh, got left in the hangar on their own for a bit too long and they decided <laughs> to produce Offspring in the, 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 the hell way strike. of... The Hellstrike. Yeah, and the, the Gladiator.
0: Storm yeah. or the Storm I'd, Speeder. Yeah, I do very much like the new Primaris Speeder, though. It looks... Well, the really Hellstrike.
2: Cool. I've resisted temptation
0: thus far. It's, it's really nice, isn't it? Thus far. Yeah, I mean, it's stuff like that. Every now and again, a kit comes out like that and I'm like... Oh, damn, the Space Wolves could get Primaris.
4: <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. you know, there's a new Primaris, Ragnar, and I've got 10 Reavers just sitting there waiting for some fun. Um, anyway, uh, what kits anyway. have you picked? So, my kit was the Dino Box, and I've already kind of talked about that. So, that's the Mauler Fiend and the Forge Fiend. I just hate the aesthetic of the organic and the mechanical. When I look at the Corn Slaughterer, um and some of the forge world units, I ma reimagined the Forge Fiend and the Waller fiend in that vein and they look a hundred times better than the kit that they produced for me. So I just dislike that organic metal, hey we're now creatures. Like I just no, I'm not I'm not with it.
3: Hmm See for me it's
2: <sighs> It's the devilfish chassis.
0: hmm
2: which is well, that's the
0: whole. That's all the tower of tux, That's all it? of them, yeah. <laughs> it,
2: it, it, it's the whole it of Tau. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it is the chassis, like the
0: Rhino. We're finally getting to him, Sam. Yes. <laughs> which
2: one the it Devilfish. Needs, so uh that, just pick the skyray and you'll see oh there you go, there's the devil fish there. Um it just I, I wish there was a little bit more separation between that and, say, the hammerhead and the Uh, Skyray.
0: Okay, rather than it just being, hey, it's this tank with a turret on. It's
2: this tank with a turret on. I mean, have
0: you seen the Space Marines now?
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's very much a a GW thing to do. It's like, all right, we've built this, we've designed this. What can we do to add to it to make it look a little bit different?
1: Do you know what? I, um,
0: just looking at, sorry, I'm just looking over here and realizing that I'm as bad as Games Workshop making a (laughs) (laughs) Medusa out of a Rhino chassis. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: i I actually really like it like uh, i I, I, I like, actually I like really the like of it I really I like tower saying, vehicles though. I really like tower vehicles like I think for me they are the most like out of Sorry all the vehicles, I think they would have the best chance at flying <laughs> like Fair if enough. if we well, made mm. if we made all of the vehicles like the storm Raven for the weight of it, the wings aren't big enough yeah. like th- this has got suitably sized. Um, engines, like and and under engines, like this. Like I really like it. Like the door on the back, I'd make it so it could open. Like have a little it crew can. falling it out. It does open.
2: Crew falling out,
1: yeah. Like, uh, but I I have always been Tau curious for uh, yes, for a, for yeah. a crew it's, army.
0: It's it's one of those really funny things, right? Like I actually really like the tower aesthetic. <laughs> I even had some tower way back when. But they're just so fun to rag on.
1: Yeah, John, I would if they, have...
0: If they never got that power creep where they were as nasty as like Eldar at that stage, was that, when was that, Like
2: end of 5th, 6th? End of 5th, 6th edition, yeah. Like yeah. If they
0: never got that push, they would not receive any hate because actually I think a lot of people like the aesthetics of the town.
1: It's just some of the models look stupid. Oh, well, yeah. Like the croup very... hounds. Yeah, they pretty stupid. Weird.
2: There's a whole story as to why they are the way they are, but we're yeah. not doing that now.
1: Or, or the sniper drone, far sight marksman. Why does that not fit inside his helmet?
0: Why is that not just another drone?
1: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Why is he not flying around on a drone? I don't but, know.
0: Again, there's a million kits we can do that. With.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so my choice, I think you've all both been me, So my choice yeah. is the Primaris Invader ATV. Now yeah. this is primarily. Primar, Honestly, if I it. could
0: remember the tune <laughs> from Mario Kart, I would be singing it
1: right now. I have a few concerns about this vehicle. One, how does it turn? How does it turn at all? Like it's got, point, it's got pivot points on the front, right? Cool, I get that. That's fine. It's got 90, it can turn 90 degrees. And then the wing wheels are also attached at the back.
0: Uh, I'd have uh, to look at the front. Turn it a little bit more. Can you turn it a little bit more? Have you got the 360? This is the Yeah, there's, there's room on the front wheels to turn.
1: No, but they're attached. So they're attached at the front yeah, that, and then that, they're attached that, at no, the no,
0: back. No, no, but that bit there, those bits there, pivot. Go to the side. So it would turn, turn right. like, it's not got much motion but it's like, it's generally like, you know when you had the little uh, um, so go-kart that you would pedal as a kid? Yeah. And your wheels would turn like, what, 45 oh. degrees?
2: So oh. spin it round the other side, Sam. This spin way. it round to the other side. Yeah, and then a little bit more there you go so you can see the gap between
0: yeah
2: that's yeah
1: okay maybe i need to see the kit second point i have a problem with but i I,
0: he's not attached
1: on the back he stood on like the thinnest platform in the world and he's got to go over like well dead in a straight line but there's going to be some bumps there right he (laughs) is going to fall off
0: i mean ground clearance alone
1: (laughs) Mag- <laughs> Mag- yeah. yeah.
0: Magnet. To be, be fair, Marines can maglock, so it could be that they're just maglocking themselves to it. But okay, but okay. so he's, he's,
1: he's maglocked to it, right? So he can't move, can't pivot himself, can't move his feet or anything like that. How does he turn the gun? <laughs> like, he's Kits. got like this. He's got like this. <laughs> I, I really, yeah. really want to like this kit, right? I, I think GW have been missing out on this type of kit for a very long time. It's awful. Be- because. They, they it's like this is what, in my mind, an attack bike should actually look like. Attack bikes are yeah. stupid. Um, this is what an attack bike should look like four wheels, better than three any day. Um, sorry, that's my take on the the, the old school. Um, Reli- is it with Reliant Robin that's only got three wheels? Yeah, but anyway,
2: oh, um, could you imagine a Reliant Robin with an onslaught cannon stuck on the top of the Yes, that would be
0: brilliant. Yeah. That would be brilliant.
1: I don't know, it just it. it Feels like he's also going to get donked on the head as well by the armour of the... Like, turns too much, clonk, knocked out the driver. I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah there are some some issues. I so just there you go. The Top down, to down it. picture. It's
1: not attached. Oh, it's not attached. Okay, that's fine then. I retract my statement about how do the wheels pivot. He's only but got still, about two, three it's degrees.
0: Still only got, yeah, it's, he's got probably 45
1: degree max turn. I don't think it's even 45 degrees. Like it's literally this gap here before it hits. Like, unless the back wheels
2: can also turn, but I doubt it.
0: No, no, but there is clearance there. No, no, no. I mean, yeah. like, this is not great podcasting, so <laughs> but yeah, they, they would give you at least forty-five degree turn. I would imagine.
1: Okay, well, but that's still it would. not
0: that's still not very great turning.
1: No, considering how much your car wheels turn and stuff like that. But anyway, I really, really, really want to like this kit. And I would love to see if anyone's converted it to make it actually work. But then I'm I'm saying actually work. Storm Ravens can't fly. Dreadnoughts would fall over because their feet yeah, are too yeah. small. Like there's so much thing. There's so I much just that's think wrong. It
0: looks dumb. I just think it looks dumb. I saw a really cool. Um, I mean, it's geeky, but it was really cool. They they taken the um, Batmobile, you know, the Tumblr yeah. from uh, Chris Nolan's trilogy. Yeah, they would taken that and just mounted like uh, an assault cannon on the top of it, and it was a 3D print kit and i think i mean simon were chatting about it laughing about it and it looks so cool and it's like that i would much rather pay simon or someone to print me one of those than have that kit and that's one of their new kits and that that's what i think so so rubbish with it there's not many kits of games workshop that i'm like i'd rather have this thing that someone else has designed. Indeed.
2: also he
1: can he can only shoot in a straight line as well i mean well <laughs> the bikes do that don't they no the bikes are on the the handlebars aren't they yeah yeah so it's not even bikes he can only... whatever anyway let's stop ranting about gw kids <laughs> that one took a bit of a divergence there um the next uh, oh the results we should probably do the results so um there was lots of votes but quite a low number of votes per category I was Um,
0: surprised. I was surprised that um, what came where. Yeah. Um, So... I'm intrigued
2: by one of the
0: entries. Yes, so there were some comments and I decided to just leave it out (laughs) (laughs) because I was like, I didn't really want to have to explain to Mr. Stone that Captain Lysander is not a vehicle.
1: He is a vehicle.
0: (laughs) He may be a tank (laughs) in terms of D&D terms, but he is not a vehicle.
1: Well, t- tactical, dreadnought, tactical dreadnought armor, right?
0: He's an armor, <laughs> not a vehicle. <laughs>
1: exactly. It's all right. Joe Stone can't read. He's only an engineer.
0: Mate, he got two votes. I, I think <laughs> it was Paul. Cool. Yeah, no, 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 no. Was.
1: It was, it was um, Patrick, wasn't it? It was Patrick, wasn't
0: yeah.
1: it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what Patrick does. Uh, Name so. and shame them both. Anyway, it's okay. It's still Joe, got more Joe, votes Joe than your fortune.
0: Joe's an engineer on vehicles.
2: <laughs> <laughs> i'm it's sure i a... would say he's just an engineer he's
1: just an engineer <laughs> anyway throwing enough shade at joe today um i'm sorry um patrick that you got caught up in it thank you very much for taking time to go and vote but joe read the instructions better next time <laughs> sorry it should be horrible this is all inside jokes we said uh, we were not do this uh, anymore. yeah the,
0: the read yeah <laughs> well i don't know they've been missing for a while to be fair <laughs> But, um, yeah, the only reason we rag on Joe is because we know he will appear in probably Sunday's Hangout or my Hangout next month. And it'll be hilarity. Yeah.
1: Sorry, anyway, I'm just pouring myself for coffee. Um, so votes-wise, um, we got one vote for the Viper. Everyone else disagrees with you, Mike. The Viper's a wonderful model.
0: I, I think it's a great kit to be done, but there are some that people hate more.
1: Um, Tantalus.
0: It's a giant, super-heavy, Dark Elder um, transport forge web bank. That's...
1: Hang on. I need to go look at this. That's, that sounds wonderful. It's, it's mental. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. It looks like multiple um, of their, their battle wagon things stuck together. Yeah, I get that. That looks awful. It's,
0: it's alright. It's just giant and, I don't know, I mean, I don't massively think it really needs to exist anyway. But...
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many they've sold. Um, okay, going back to the the stats. So we had the Tantalus uh, at one vote, uh, the Forge Fiend and Mauler Fiend at one vote. I guess two, yeah, no, including No one you.
0: agrees with me. No, that was me. I put that on
1: there. All oh, right. <laughs> oh, of course, your picture's chosen because we're not friends on Facebook, are we? Um, Here yeah, we are
4: now.
3: We
1: are. are we? Are we? Right. You okay, hassled me enough. Two votes for the Land Raider. Two votes for first captain Lysander. Two votes for the Hellbrute. Two votes for the Necron Cereb- tech heavy construct. I, I like that it's one. The Forge World one, right? That's the big Forge World one.
0: I wonder if this is again. I don't think there are any. Oh, we had to a look at this, and it was massive. I think, yeah, I think it might be have the same issue as a Bio Titan. It just is it's not just very heavy. There resin go, there, right there. Very heavy resin on some spindly back legs. Sold out, though, so people like it. Or games were, uh, <laughs> all people,
1: all people don't like it. And that's the problem. Yeah. I, I actually really like that. That was the, the reason I, I wanted looks, to do a, a Necron army.
0: <laughs> yeah, you even bought a Kodak.
1: So. I know, right? <laughs>
0: um,
1: yeah. um, what next? We had two votes for the Dark Angels Talon Master. Um, four votes for the Corn Blood Slaughterer uh four votes for the invader atv good choice guys good choice four votes for tau hammerheads
2: if i'd been with it i would have voted for that and it would have been five votes but you know
1: whatever (laughs) didn't turn up mate you don't count um and then finally who's nil five votes for the storm raven i don't think the storm raven's that bad
0: i i was i was shocked when i saw that i would rather see like the atv up there um Out of all the ones that were chosen, I mean, obviously, I want my one at the top, but if I had to choose another one that got some votes, I would probably choose the ATV over the Storm Raven. But when you do look at the Storm Raven, I kind of do see it, and I've forgotten how much that's, that kit doesn't look very good.
1: So I feel like we should give away a Storm Raven.
0: If you're paying for it, feel free. <laughs>
1: we'll do a Storm Raven contest. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, that well, that's the. Easy that's the end of the uh the poll um uh what is next month's poll matthew you've chosen this so
0: so our next month's poll is what is or who is your favorite black library author and why
1: that's terribly highbrow
0: so i i just felt like we should do something different we've done kits we've done models we've done uh painting stuff hobby chat we haven't done anything around books for either a long time for actually i think ever So, uh, yeah, favourite Black Library author and why? Obviously, you can only vote for one. Otherwise, that would be pointless to the poll. Um, And uh, you can add your option if it is not already there. But please check first so we don't end up with four Graham Neils, for example. Um, No no one
1: wants or needs that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see who comes out on top uh, in this one. I've got my feelings but I will keep them until we see the, uh, the results next, uh, next episode. Um, I, I definitely have a feeling of uh, two names that I think will be right at
3: the top. Yep. Cool.
1: Well, let's take a quick break. I'll load up the poll so people can start answering. I'll pin it to the top as Matthew failed last month. And, and you um, need
0: to, you need, Sam. you need to get rid of the old one and mark it as an announcement and then pin it to the top.
1: Right. All that wonderful stuff. I'm sure I'll figure out. Um, take a quick break. We'll come back afterwards with our spotlight where we're talking about bite. And
0: not the alcoholic drink.
1: Or Neil's piercings.
5: Want to stroke Sam's ego so I don't have to as much? then please leave the Adeptus Terra podcast an iTunes review if that's the platform in which you listen to them on. The reviews do help them to at least attempt to do better and it does make their little faces light up when they see the five stars. So do the right thing and leave them a review. Thank you. Am I done?
1: No. Hello and welcome back to the Adeptus Terra podcast. (laughs) (laughs)
0: party people
1: sorry neil was just saying about how we ramble on uh, and and talk a lot uh, uh, a little bit too much so i felt like that was appropriate (laughs) anyway this segment we are talking about uh this is the spotlight for those that don't know the spotlight is where we shine a light on something which is perhaps not always talked about in the 30 or 40k universe and for this month the spotlight is firmly on the snakebite clan um which are orcs so i don't want to give too much away because matt's going to jump straight in with the intro uh about right about now um so let's just get on with the show yeah. so neil can neil can finish early
0: so he can go and play D. Can go with his with other friends D&D. I'll
1: find out. <laughs> it's all the same it's not yeah, this. It
0: does, doesn't matter. It's <laughs> yeah, it not does. a D6, I don't care. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. Go on, Matt.
0: Um, so, before we venture into the snake bites, we should probably mention what an Orc clan kind of is in general. Um, most people will know this already, but, you know, you've got to cater for everyone. Um, these clans are cultural groupings of Orcs rather than actual communities, each embodying a distinct Orcish philosophy. Um, for example, the Goths are all big, bad, and want to punch stuff whereas the uh, evil sons want to go fast, and that's why they paint everything red. Um, mm. Clans exist outside the organization of tribes. Tribes are constantly breaking apart and reforming through war and infighting and everything else going on in the universe, but clans are constant and enduring. Uh, there are countless tribes and war bands throughout the galaxy, but only six significant clans, one of them being the snakebites. Um, they have their own distinct character, culture, colors, markings, and ways of waging war. Uh, The clan distinctions are possibly even genetic, engineered into the orcs by the brain boys of the distant past. No proof of that, but just some thoughts. Because all Goths tend to be the biggest of all the orcs, and um, uh, what's it called? Bad moons tend to be the smallest, but grow teeth really, really quickly, so they are very, very rich. That's the orcs' currency. And it feels like there's some kind of genetic... Reasoning towards that order.
1: I feel like Um, that's a really good. That's a really good currency. I think we should go to teeth instead.
0: Mate, I'd I'd be screwed. No one would want mine. Mine would count as like pennies. Pennies. (laughs) They'd be like that one's got a hole in it. That one's a bit yellow.
1: (laughs) As an as an avid coffee drinker, mine would probably come out and make coffee with. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about less less uh, venereal. (laughs) Um, I was say sentiments.
0: So the Snake Bites are one of these well known clans of orcs. The Snake Bites are considered to be a backward tribe of some sorts um by many of the more technologically advanced tribes of orcs. Uh, for they still follow the old ways of the orc race and often remain feral even after they gain access to more advanced technology. As a result of their rugged lifestyle, the snake bites are usually weather-beaten and as tough as an old boot. Which I think you should take into account if you're ever painting snake bites in terms of their colour of the skin. They're a more kind of khaki, faded green colour rather than like bright green. Anyway, um, they are experts in the field of breeding orcoid creatures and their grots and squigs are the f- uh, fiercest among all the green skin tribes. Now, the Snakebites clan uh, name comes from a tribal rite of passage that requires the young aspirant for full membership in the tribe to goad an extremely poisonous serpent into biting him, then sucking out the venom to prove his resilience. Obviously, I guess if you die, then you weren't tough enough. (laughs) Uh, The orcs of the Snakebites clan uh, thus build up a powerful immunity to natural poisons. They are the death guard of the orcs (laughs) and keep various species of snakes and toxic... Toxarapnids as pets. Not sure what a toxiraptid is. I'm spider, it's just a toxic spider.
1: Yeah, Spider Man. <laughs> um, yeah. you so mean you have Spider Man are... orcs.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that's how you could do your. Um, you were doing what are they? The jet pipe guys. Uh, the jetpack guys. What are they called? Storm <laughs> boys. Storm boys. You can have all storm boys dressed as Spider Man with spider webbing, rather so than hanging off like lampposts and things that you get in the terrain kits. <laughs> That would be so stupid, but so great. (laughs) Um, You've lost me in my notes now, damn it. Um, They also always carry a selection of venomous beasts with them when they migrate to a new world, just in case the local varieties of snake prove disappointing to them. Um, Sam's going to carry us on with their specific beliefs and appearances.
1: Cool. Cool. So beliefs. The snake bites are toughened by the str- uh, by the strange initiation rites of the clan. So being bitten by that poisonous snake and sucking the venom out, um, and and they they don't just do it once; they continually do it. So they actually get tougher oh. uh, and more resilient. So of all the orc clans, snake bites remain the closest to the wild. They're very very feral, uh, like Matt said. Um, and although they used uh, use and understand technology as well as any other orcs their natural inclination leads them to shun much of the sophistication that comes with technology so <laughs>
0: sophistication and orc technology i love that
1: so I, i'm guessing you'd probably see a lack of mech boys if you're going to think about tabletop lack of mech boys um probably favoring more um mechanical um like base mechanical stuff so like um if you thought about like no energy weapons for example going more Mm. on like uh shells and 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 bullets over like the the plasma and i'd actually go more down the right down the lines of those squig launchers so you know that they've got the
0: there's a buggy the squig buggy i think do i still own that i think i might have sold it
1: um Um, but yeah yeah, i'd go more down towards that kind of stuff because there there is this big um, breeding program inside the snake bites for for growing squigs and squigliths and etc. Which I'm I think I'm going to cover a bit later. But anyway, um, snake bites are also known to be a wandering clan. So they they don't they don't stay uh, in one place. They don't sort of inhabit a world and stay there. They're kind of a uh, very nomadic lifestyle. So they would be moving around, going for different worlds. Hence the um, building up this. Uh, resilience because of new worlds, new toxins new new stuff to get sick by um, and, and they move around quite a lot uh, Imperial scholars have speculated that the clan may be the last remnants of the original ancient Orc culture before they were made uh, contact the rest of the galaxy so this is kind of like the last bastion in in, um, in, in orc uh, culture um they're they're very like, like we said before, they're very close to uh, to Fair Isle Orc um, status, so so they 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 uh, are, are fairly um, robust, and the like I said, the last bastion. So colors, so um, kind of this is more about how they look and uh, and, and and their colors. So the Bites Clan sigil is a venomous serpent, typically green on a yellow banner, but they like to uh, to to have many different venomous serpents or hides and furs and, and 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 they um uh they like to they're a bit pompous with showing that off i guess it's not about having the biggest gun it's not about having the best looking vehicle or the most shooter or the most dacker uh it's all about having the the biggest pelt that you've killed it's, it's it's kind of that really true calling back to feral nature right rather than that kind of technological advancements snake bites prefer their earthy tones Uh, You'd probably see their huts would be uh, mud lined rather than nice plaster and painted nice. Um, So it's (laughs) earthy tones for the liveries, specifically greens and browns with dusty yellows and white highlights. So very uh, leaning towards the more natural color palette rather than kind of like this bright red or this bright green. Or like Matt's saying, the skin tone is a lot more khaki rather than this like radioactive green. Orcs of this clan are are covered in swirling tattoos like coiled snakes. They also uh, are known to cultivate their hair. Uh, They're also known to cultivate hairy squigs so they can decorate themselves with extravagant uh, crests and top knots. Uh, Very kind of, uh, I guess, like geisha-esque where they have fake hair and fake um, top knots stuck on to, to be more pompous and more kind of like showy.
0: Yeah, I imagine it's a showy thing. It's probably also a size thing. Like you add another, you add a top knot, you gain X amount of inches from
1: <laughs> the
0: top of your head. Um, so yeah, I wonder if it's kind of like the bigger the top knot, the better the warrior or the mm. stronger you are. Or, yeah.
1: Other common features uh, include uh, wolf skin headgear, wolf pelts. Um, they also appear uh, uh, add to their wild and primitive appearance as well. <clears throat> so um, very. Uh, orc tribey rather than kind of like perhaps what you're used to with modern day orcs in their white vests and brown trousers and then their most distinctive elements are uh, of of their dress is their snake belts uh, which are fastened with metal buckles in the form of a snake Uh, some even go as far as to wear live poisonous snakes around their waist to show how tough they are (laughs)
0: How do they manage to keep that snake there? Because they're, they're just bolting them to. Well, have their you never waist. seen
1: any? Have you never seen any cartoon where they just tie the snake up and they, yeah. it stays <laughs> like that? Right? Yeah. That's obviously how they do it. Explain
2: like how they do it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah absolutely. It's it's interesting. Like it, it, like looking and researching into like how they look and their appearance. It definitely made me want to do orcs.
0: Yeah, it's funny, right? Like I find this with all the clans. I had we we cover them, and I'm like, they could do. I've literally got a little tiny shelf just down in the bottom corner of one of my cabinets that has the remnants of my Orcs because I sold off most of them because I wasn't happy with where I was going. Just kept some of my favourite models. I'm like, "Hmm, how could I fashion them into them? Sadly, it's mostly all converted vehicles and stuff. So I'm like, it doesn't really fit the bill.
1: No, no, no. Anyway, Neil, take us away. History and campaigns.
0: Well, so, uh,
2: there's not much I can really add to uh what you guys have said already, um other than yeah where as you said about them scorning um firearms, they tend to use sharpened bone sticks, heavy sticks, <laughs> or choppers <laughs> rather than yeah right so that, yeah you're gonna have uh, more melee orientated orcs um that are seen as backward because they don't like the loud bangs of. Guns, um, and yeah, they're wearing mud and crude war paint, in addition to their trophies that they've collected from the kills, uh, and using the kills as poorly cured skins.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's, um, that's that's quite cool. Like, just again, we're going to kind of cover on your tabletop uh, at the end, but um, just just picturing these models, you know, like getting mud effect like Liam uses on his bases when Liam was on chatting about his. Terrain. He has that really muddy kind of diorama base. Like having that, but painting it on the orc model would be really cool. Patches of wet mud that they've literally just up and slapped on their face or whatever.
2: So yeah, in addition to the whole ritual of coming of age of getting bitten by a poisonous snake and then sucking the venom out to prove they're tough. Um, when they do travel to a new planet, yes, they do take their own. Um, venomous snakes and arachnids or other small beasts with them in case the ones on the new planet aren't tough enough. Their view is that snakes make the best pets and the more lethal, the
1: better. So they're really like the great destructor of ecosystems, right? So this this world pretty happy pretty sitting there maybe it's a a forest world and what do they do they bring in an outside animal and release it into the wild and, and just it has massive ecological impacts to, <laughs> to this world
2: could you could you imagine if they could trap like um tyranids and uh rippers yeah use them as oh my
0: god oh <laughs> oh wait now <laughs> oh wait! <laughs> have, I, have I
2: have I have highlighted a point that we're coming oh, up to a yes. bit later? Oh um, yes, we have. So, in addition to all of this uh, of breeding the snakes, they have the reputation for breeding the finest grots and squigs of all the clans. Their runt herds breed the fiercest, toughest, and most biddable stock, uh, and their sprawling pungent menageries uh, are a credit to their art of breeding. Um, In addition to this, they are the only clan that breed Squigoths. Um, So yeah, that gigantic Squig that can carry... Giant
0: dinosaur-like (laughs) Squig.
2: That can carry them on their back or carry a massive battle cannon. Yeah, i talk about
1: these a bit later. Yeah, they're Um, cool. And the Uh, difference between them and stuff. They are really cool. And, and, And again, every time Orcs come up, it really makes me want to do it. To be fair,
0: snake bites, I could see you doing snake bites, Sam. Yeah. Using a lot of the fancy models. I've already got the plan.
1: Look at my list that I created. It's already they're in they're there. Cl- they're close the list to could be croot. tweaked, but you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're
2: close to crude. Um these uh, these grots come in handy and so do the screw offs. Uh generally because of the snake bites, prefer a fast, savage frontal attack using swarm. Tactics, so you can get right okay, squiggles game, we'll follow it in a minute. Uh, and then just a horde of grots just sweeping yeah. across the battlefield, a bit like your hormigants and termagants, but a wave of green skins, yeah. followed by a wave of bigger green skins on <laughs> boarback, waving sharp implements around. <laughs> um, so, a notable campaign. War, uh, the noted snakebite war boss, or Rook or Rook, teeth uh, splinter uh, enslaves the whole the entire population of his old stomping grounds of Korva, uh, forcing his captives to build a spacecraft for him, large enough <laughs> large enough to accommodate his beloved beloved mega menagerie. So I'm assuming he must have quite a number of uh, Squigoth, etc. Um, and basically he heads off to the core worlds of the Imperium. Uh, he conquers the nine shrine worlds of Marlisanct and uses the Basilica Imperator Majoris as a breeding pen to house his Squigoths.
1: Now say that again without, without sounding weird. No,
2: because I'm going to sound weird regardless. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, that was the phone call. What was
0: going on? Uh, Neil can't say Basilica. I,
2: have, I love it when I have words that I cannot pronounce. It's great.
0: Are you talking about the Nine Shrine
2: Worlds? I've got the Nine Shrine Worlds. So he conquers the Nine Shrine Worlds of Sanct and uses the Basilica Imperator Majoris as a breeding pen to house his many squiggles. So apparently incontinent.
0: Why incontinent?
2: What? I don't know why they're incontinent. Yeah, they poo themselves.
1: Continent. Which is weird. But yeah, that's squigs, but right? It Doesn't their poo create fuel?
0: I have. They use it as fuel, I think. Yeah, Little, so incontinent no
1: squigs would be the best thing in the world. Like, it's just free yeah. fuel. <laughs> well, no.
0: But where, where does it say incontinent? I'm
2: looking at the notes. I may, I may have rem- misremembered this information from another notable story. No, um, it is, yeah. I was right in the in notable characters.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, but we're not there, right? Doesn't
2: matter. I've remembered it from not writing it <laughs> okay. down in my Neil's, notes.
1: Neil, Neil has remembered something. We should Basically, be proud. It is so it I'm is a fluid trying,
0: conversation. I'm, sorry, I'm just trying to catch up with where we've gone wrong and what needs. <laughs> just because
1: you you took a phone call, Matt, and decided to put a taken phone call, call above the podcast. the podcast.
0: Right. <laughs> so it's fine. We don't need to do anything.
1: No, this is all staying right. in. Carry on.
0: Right, Matt please take us through snakebite
2: tactics and notable tribe or tribes. Yeah,
0: there is only one notable tribe um, of the snakebite so far. Uh, A lot of space for you to to create your own saga there for the snakebites. But um, snakebite tactics, and again, we've kind of covered some of this in our other segments, but um, drive their orcoid beasts to war before them, counting on overwhelming their enemies with squigs and even squigoths. So, that their boys can, uh, can reach the foe, their runt herds work tirelessly to keep these creatures and the clans' grots in line on the battlefield in times of war. The grots are even given crude weapons and herded into battle, often manning the batteries of big guns and accompanying the tribe's weird boys, and so their heads can go pop rather than the uh, the, the orc boys themselves. Uh, ironically, the more sophisticated weapons that fall into the hands of the snake bites usually find their way into the hands of their grots as the runts of the tribe are left to figure out how they work. The orcs, meanwhile, gather into especially large and surly mobs, whose lack of shooters is more than made up for their assortment of heavy, blunt objects. Snake Snakebites are extremely tough and rely on their innate resilience and the destruction of countless charging orcs, squeaks and grots to keep their adversaries from cutting them down with fire as they close in for melee attacks. Once they arrive in close quarters, the savagery of the snake usually carries the day. So yeah, it's just that image that Neil painted earlier, you know, squig off, squigs, whatever they can find in the front row, maybe some grotz man in artillery pieces or uh, better technology. Um, and then here come the boys, <laughs> the punch stuff, whatever's left. It's a very, very fine art of war for the snake bikes.
2: It's like using a heavy brick.
0: Just gotta keep going. It's very much Sam's style to be fair. Take yep. the beast things and punch. Although he would never want to do this army because it would have to include at least like ninety orcs and a hundred grots.
1: No no, you just do you just do it the way that I'm gonna do it.
0: Yeah, wrong.
1: No, it's right. <laughs> I'm just gonna load it for the squigs.
0: Yeah. So the worm killer tribe. So from what I could discover, this is the only real notable tribe. Um, so this is War Bork, rampaged out of the ghoul stars and into the eastern fringe. The Worm Killer tribe came with them, adorned with alien trophies and covered in scars. This snakebite tribe earned their name, killing tyranids. Grunt herds tell tales of how the tribe were hunting through the jungles of some remote world, and they came across a great fleshy spore encased in glistening amber. Bringing it back to the Orc fleet, they cracked it open and hundreds of clawed serpentine tyranids spilled out. The snake bites hunted the creatures, taking great pleasure in the fact that they seemed to grow rapidly, and no sooner had they bashed one than another one appeared from a vent or a drain. Before long the orc kill cruiser was infested, and most of the other tribes on board were killed. Only the snake bites surviving in the weird tyranny jungle of their ship had now become. Uh, and by the time the infested cruiser drifted into a star system, snake bites had finally killed most of the Tyranids on board, having learnt the best ways to crack them open and smash them up. Covered in Tyranid trophies and using alien claws and talons as weapons, they joined up with the other orcs, calling themselves the Worm Killer tribe. Having had so much fun hunting the Tyranids in space, the tribe had kept some alive and released them on the first world they came to, while the rest of the orcs bashed the humans' inhabitants, um, the worm killers made sure the tyrannids had come to, uh, sorry, had time to multiply, so they would make good hunting. By the time the orcs had torn apart the humans, they found themselves overrun by tyrannids and gleefully turned their attention to this new foe. Since then, the worm killers have spread tyrannids to dozens of worlds, and so they could always have a good fight wherever they go. Just awesome. awesome. Hmm. So I'm now seeing an orc army with allied Tyranids, and <laughs> the orc boys, rather than having the normal choppers, having like limbs of Jean stealer and yeah. Formicant or arms, um, and just yeah, just hilarious. Yeah. Oh, now that would be an awesome modelling. I think that some people have taken this because I've seen pictures of like um, orcs riding um, gargoyles and stuff like that, and I've seen like uh, orcs with chains around the teeth of um, like um, Carnifex, yeah, and stuff like that, like I can see how people have done this um, before but yeah, very cool story uh, next we're going to go into the notable snake bites themselves, these are individuals who kind of stand out in legend, um, I think we've got a couple each, um, and then we're going to move on to on the tabletop I believe
1: so I've got Bogrot Bones, who I feel is my spirit animal. <laughs> okay. So Bogrot Bones is a notable snakebite breeder. Uh, he served in Gruckface Ripper's Red War during their rampage through the Santos Reach subsector. There were a number of snakebites in the Red War, but none meaner than Bogrot Bones and his pet gargantuan, Squigoth, uh, who was called Stompy.
0: <laughs> Such a cute name.
1: Oh, you wait till you get to my, my character's pet name. <laughs> oh, no. So... Um, is it Kelly? Yeah. No. <laughs> no, she'd kill me. Uh, so uh, a little bit on squiggoths. Um, so you've got three types of squig- uh, squiggoths. You've got the big squiggoth, which is... Uh, big squiggoth, they're the smallest of the three. Uh, and, <laughs> Good, they're, of course. <laughs> and they're the more common um, breed of squiggoths, which are about the size of an Imperial Lehman Rust tank. Um, their small size is the result of either youth or being poor breeding methods um, from their orc masters. They often travel in packs, particularly on worlds dominated by feral orcs. Next, we have the gargantuan squiggoths, which is probably the ones that everyone's pretty familiar with. Um, they are approximately the size of a small imperial titan. Their size is the result of breeding using the special high quality feed formula of the snake bites clam these giants are sometimes used as mounts by the most powerful of orc war bosses and then finally you have orcasaurus uh, it's the largest breed of squiggoth that is used by the orcs the orcasaurus is usually found amongst feral orc tribes and is rarely if ever seen in use by more technologically advanced orc clans the massive creatures used as both beast of burden and the beast of war by the feral orcs So Beast of Burden is, I think, it's the one that carries stuff around and the war is when they start attacking on top of it, I think. Um, So anyway, back to uh, Stompy and Bogrot Bones. So in battle, Stompy lives up to its name. He, or she, hasn't said agenda, uh, loves trampling entire companies into the ground under its bulk, often oblivious to the mayhem it was causing. The small-brained beast could only concentrate on one thing at a time however it was easily confused bless it bog rot bones would yell and brawl trying to goad it into going where he wanted uh those stompy often, see, often seeing something shiny would thunder off in a random direction now i'm <laughs> thinking model opportunities having a stick coming off a stompy's head with a human dangling there
0: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah this I think way, that'd be great. This way. Yeah, yeah yeah i think that'd be great uh Uh, This happened on a number of occasions during the Red War, the huge monster either turning the tide of the battle inadvertently by accident um, or causing carnage among the orcs' hordes as it crashed through its own allies. (laughs) One example of this occurred on Cybele III. Stompy broke open the fortress when he spied the shiny medals on the chest of the fort's Imperial Guard commander. The officer was waving and yelling for his men from the top of the wall, unaware he was leading the squiggoth on. Stompy headbutted its way through the wall and gave chase to the terrified commander as he ran up the seven tiers of the fortress, trying to close the gates behind him and ordering his men to cover his flight. In the end, Stompy cornered and pulverised the officer in the heart of the citadel as thousands of orcs poured in through the breaches behind him inadvertently winning the battle
0: amazing awesome right so I feel, I'm sorry I feel like Stompy is the notable snakebite at that point
1: yeah <laughs> yeah probably but either or I don't mind
2: uh, so next up we have Grack the Mighty also known as Bearer of the Great Club Chieftain <laughs> Supreme of the snakebites from the planet Kongjaro, uh, in late 900, sorry, in late 999. M41. Gascoigne's mighty war was set to journey to Octarius. Uh, although before this, Gascoigne had the strange urge to visit Kongjaro, which was a nearby star system. Uh, the orcs. Of this planet with their strange tattoos and unusual piercings treated Gazkol as a god. And after carrying out a ceremonial beast hunt, Grack the Mighty pledged all of his warriors to the war
0: Ah, that's cool. There's quite a few bits of Gazkol, My guy's got Gaz in him. Uh, so mine is uh, Grudbolg, um, and he was a stubborn war boss of the Snake Bites on the world of Urk. When Gazkol Thracker first grew to prominence on this mo- primitive world, Following his miraculous surgery at the hands of Mad Doc his horde quickly grew so that no warband on Earth could hope to stand before his sweeping onslaught. Only the foolish or the stubborn even attempted to stand apart from the meteoric rise of this great Greenskin champion. One such stubborn fool was the Snakebite Warboss Grudbold. It took a long, bloody solar week to subdue the Snakebites under Grudbold. And Gasgall was forced to decapitate the scarred old monster twice before finally winning his loyalty. <laughs> this is great. I cut off your head. You're not gonna follow me? I cut it off again. <laughs> Good.
1: Next is Hurric Teeth Splinter. Splinterana? Anyway. Hurrik enslaved the entire population of his old world, the system of Korva. Uh Hurak forced his slaves to build huge spacecraft with holds large enough to accommodate his beloved mega menagerie squigs. Once built, Hurric set off to conquer the core worlds of the Imperium of Man. He went on to conquer the nine shrine worlds of Marsalact and using the, its Basilica Imperator Majorus as the breeding pens for his famous squigs. That's, um, how you do it, <laughs> that's how you do it, Neil.
2: That's how you do it, Neil. That's <laughs> how you do it, Neil. A squigoth.
1: <laughs> is the largest species of squig, uh, a form of ravenous orcoid creature used by the orcs as food uh, and pack animals. Uh, squigoths are most commonly used by pre-industrial feral orcs, uh, but can be found among their more technologically advanced space-faring counterparts as well. Um, so yeah, squigoths.
2: Squiggoth's
0: big, squigg's. Your, your characters big. have all been about the squiggoths. I know, right? You will <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: definitely be why it's informed my choices later on. Um indeed. so the squiggoth, if you look on it, it's a Forge world model. It is yes, indeed. Um the Squiggoth is it's kinda of like a dinosaur type sort of size size. It must be it must be hefty, like. It's not actually that big compared to a biker. It's not it's not huge, but they are it is weighty, right? So I reckon they it can kill
0: someone. Big. No, not
1: overly. It's like
0: bigger than a Land Raider. No, it's not.
1: That might be the yeah, gargantuan. Is. The gargantuan is, is bigger than a Land Raider. <laughs> hang on, two
0: seconds. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. There
3: you
1: go. Uh, this is oh, hang on the. So, this is the Orc Oh,
0: okay. Sorry, I didn't know there was an normal... Aw- I, when you said Squiggle, off," I thought the 4 jawed one was only the, the no, giant th- one.
1: and this is the gargantuan one.
0: They're so cool.
1: They are really cool. Like, look at the size.
0: Yeah, much bigger than a it's battle.
1: It's like wagon. two orc trucks long.
0: That's a battle wagon. That's battle the, wagon, because, sorry. yeah. That's that's like two land raiders.
1: Yeah, so they he had the other one, which is cool. Like, it's a lot smaller. I think if. Like, this is 200. The Gargantuan the is 278 pounds. So, probably not something you'd have multiples of. But an 89 pound Ork Squiggoth, having one or two of those would be quite cool.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And it looks like you have to buy the cannon. That's a bit cheap. <laughs>
1: That's fine. Anyway,
2: uh, carrying on. Cool. So, next up and finally,
3: we have Zodgrod, Wartsnugger.
2: Zodgrod uh, was one of the greatest runt herds before being exiled by... Uh, oh, wow.
1: Oogler hard Duff Grunter.
2: Oogler hard yes. Duff so, Grunter. So was the greatest of all runt herds before being exiled from Oogler hard Duff Grunter's charges for firing a mech boy through his own shock attack gun. <laughs> he did this because the mech boy, was mistreating the grots that were being used as the live ammo for the gun.
0: <laughs> How do you mistreat right. live ammo? I, I don't know.
2: But apparently, yes, he was mistreating. So Zodgod took, uh, yes, a distaste for this guy and fired him through his own gun. <laughs> yeah, it isn't this
1: the one where they've got the cannon on the shoulder? and then Yeah,
0: sucking up grots.
2: Yeah. Um, so after this, uh, Zodkrod travelled through space with his Gretchen as a freebooter, selling this service to any warboss that could pay the teeth. Um, over the course of his travels, Zodkrod, Zodkrod, oh wow! Over the course of his travels, Zodkrod came across writings from an- another runt herd who claimed to have created Gretchen that had higher levels of intelligence aggressiveness, and the ability to stay calm under fire. I'm assuming it was something to do with, if you do this, I will give you this super juicy squig. And (laughs) just rinse and repeat until they learn that actually, yes, if I get rewarded for doing this distasteful task... Yeah. Um, So yeah, they were dubbed as super runts, uh, and Zodgrod adopted the techniques to create his own uh, grots that were super runs, uh, and they can be the lynchpin of an orc's uh, or boss's attack.
0: Mm. I think there used to be rules for
3: super runs. Probably.
2: But and as my extra. knowledge of orcs is not great.
0: Yeah, I can't remember if it was like a ford rod thing or whether you could upgrade them or something. I feel like it was a thing. Like maybe I'm just remembering a fan rule set or something, I don't know. But yeah, sounds cool. All right, well, on to the tabletop. So for this kind of round out of the spotlight, uh, we thought we'd talk about kind of list themes, rough, rough list inclusions. Um, so units we'd take or what a rough list would look like. Um, so we're not particularly building a list. We're just kind of talking about how we would envision, envision a uh, Snakebites army if we were to do them. Um, maybe that will spring up some idea. And then afterwards, I thought it would be kind of cool to do a kind of create your own leader. Um, so again, we're not de- diving deep into rules or how they'd exactly work, but just a, a fun exercise on creating a leader for the uh, snake bite Clan that you may decide to do one day. Um, but yeah, Sam, why don't you take us off? You've kind of gone a full on, like, here's my list. Or yeah, at least so- the start of a list
1: yeah so this is this is a 50 point or 50 um power level point uh list that i've put together um it's on the basis of my character called cracked tooth uh who is a war boss uh who is feral as they come accompanied by his pet squig fluffy um doesn't uh... use guns only dual blades so dual dual wielding blades um surrounds himself with guns though so they can shoot the enemy but they are not up his alley um Typically, he is actually a quite a short orc. Um, he's got a bit of a height complex going on, um, and uh, he is found. Uh, uh, he was found uh, as a fungus spawn riding around on squiggoth. So he's been riding squig. He's been riding squigs um, for a long time from, uh, from birth. From birth, and and now those squiggoths that he was riding carry his cannons for him. Wow. Um, hence, why. Uh, the two squiggers with cannons in the list yeah um he is uh so so model wise i would use the or orc uh, war chanter kit i don't know if you've seen that before
0: uh no present your screen for us gentlemen i'm sure i have but i don't know exactly what one it is
1: so the war is, is it or, a fantasy one it is a fantasy one yep yeah. um cool. uh, i would go mostly down the fantasy uh the, the fantasy route of uh, for the models. Um so the orc war Chanter, while this is presenting is um oh yeah that guy it's the the orc standing there screaming out loud holding two bones with a happy and sad face on the bones. Um I would replace the um the the bones with uh I didn't actually say so I would replace the bones with the Iron Jaws boys kit um so they're, oh, they're weapons are they're, they're um they're basically metal shards attached to um a- attached to wooden sticks uh let's have a look iron skulls here we go so very basic oh sorry they're metal um So very basic kind of weaponry um using one of these uh or uh one like hatchet style one one of the blade style ones um so very feral uh-esque and 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 um uh, using natural materials i also thought about um using the two seconds i'll just find the name of them um using the so in my list actually that's a good point let's talk about the list so in my list i have um my hq uh he's obviously a war boss uh he's got an attack squid big chopper the biggest boss even though he's the shortest one um the lucky stick because it's very uh it'll be a wooden stick A custom shooter, which will be a squig gun, if I can find uh, a suitable kit for that, to fire miniature squigs at people. Um, And a surly as a squigeth, warlord trait. Um, I went for two troop choices, um, uh, sorry, three troop choices, two squads of ten boys. um, And I was going to use the savage orc boys kits. Yeah, yeah, yeah um so the ones uh they've got spears uh armor teeth bones uh quite a cool little um totem pole uh which i also really liked the you
0: could use that on the uh, boss knob as a um don't know what they call it now but yeah they have a little hole that helps with morale
1: yeah i also hoped that because they're all similar price that they're the same kit and just different weapon options um i hope that i might get the arrow boys totem because it's got a snake on it
0: Oh yeah, that So cool. that could be quite cool could as well. You easily just buy that off of
1: like an eBay kind of thing, yeah. couldn't you? So just using using those, uh, and I also went for because I'm I'm quite quite enamored by Gretchen. Uh, went for a Gretchen um, with Grot Blasters as well. So there are some guns in there. Um, all of my bo- uh, all of the boys are Slugger Slugger Choppers. Um, so, but I'd put more emphasis on the the spears the the blades rather than having the guns. It'd be more for. Um, just for shooting purposes but mainly heavy on yeah. that
0: yeah yeah no model wise they basically look like they all had things. the cool thing with spears is they could always throw them
1: exactly yeah that's, their,
0: that's their shooting attack their slugger counts as a spear
1: um i also went for two squads of war bikers uh and i would use the either the boar boys um or the gore grunters which are yeah, slightly I, bigger
0: I used to... I reckon the Gore Grunters would make better bikes. Which has a came. slightly
1: bigger kind of like bores, um, but more heavily armored. Um, I thought for bikes would make more sense and they've got like big lance type weaponry in there as well. So I went for two two packs of those. Uh, so two squads of three. And then finally, I went for Swigarths with cannons, obviously linking back yeah, nice. to Cracked Tooths childhood days of having these two squiggoths that he was riding around and i'd give them cannons cannons because that would be my uh, heavy support choice and a bit of artillery fire in there
0: mm, that's cool and if you were going to grow it you'd just basically add more orcs and more gretchen yeah as well as a few special units
1: yeah, yeah effectively like trying to play heavy on um trying to play a bit more heavily on um close combat lots of numbers add more boys i wanted to get those in because they're kind of like with the uh, the squigglers and the bikers because they're kind of a bit more aligned to how i play um and yeah. uh, i really like that part of the, the 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 snake bites where the the um have lots of squigs and and, and the like um, i swear i've seen more models and I, I couldn't find them last night when i was looking um where there's a picture of an orc riding a squig um i try and get something like that in Kind Of playing on that, that line, I think that was uh
2: night goblins riding
0: squigs.
1: Yeah, so maybe, get night maybe my um, maybe, maybe the I could have the Gretchens. the Gretchens on squigs and riding those. What yeah, are they night just, goblins? You say,
0: yeah, I think they're night goblins. I think you can get regular goblins. There's also, if you go on to um, Forge World and look at the fantasy range, uh, orc with a C, uh, they've got um, uh, a squig. Set that you get, and it's like a giant squig, yeah, as well as um, uh, a few smaller squigs. I think there's yeah. one riding a squig, there's an, uh, an artillery piece squig, okay, like spitting out a fireball or something. Cool, um, um yeah, that's kind of cool.
1: So, yeah, night goblins they have squig herds, which are lots of squigs, uh, or they have squig hoppers, which would be quite cool for Gretchen, something a bit different. Um, yeah. but yeah, so I, I went down that kind of mm. that kind of route, very much set on um Feral orcs rather than the newer orcs. And actually, it definitely made me want to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, do you know what? It's funny because you doing all that has just one made me go, that would be such a cool army to do. But two, like made me go, oh man, I went a different way with my character, right? So I was like, do you know what? I want to make the theme of the force really match. And I'm not that bothered by the character. Or I wasn't, I think when I was doing this, I wasn't that enamored to the larger than life, big orc guy. Yeah, I was like, do you know what? I just want loads of feral orcs running around and I'm not that bothered on the guy. Yeah. So when I, when I was going through kits that I wouldn't have to do much work to, which often is not my approach to orcs, so kind of maybe slightly differently there, is I went for the war boss kit that is Gruck Face Ripper. So he uh, basically looks very much like a kind of a normal war boss. He has a cool alcor and he has a big squig that he's kind of holding. And So that kind of ticked that box of having a squig. Um, And yeah, just nice, simple, big war boss, angry man. Um, Still looks very 40K, so it's not too reliant on having to convert the fantasy stuff. Um, And then I think I would just, um, in terms of my list, I'd go like Weird Boys, where I would use the um, fantasy one. uh, I keep saying fantasy, sorry, Sigma. (laughs) Uh, Weird Boy that I think you add up on your screen at one point, just in your selections who um, looks really cool with a kind of like tiki face mask and just very feral. Have have them, lots of Gretchen, um, uh, just normal plastic kits. I also thought of having um, tank busters because they can have bomb squeaks um, and potentially running a couple of the squeak buggies as well, which fire different squeaks. I thought that was quite cool. So you've got that 40k more technology present. It's not just full on here's an Age of Sigma army but I'm playing it as 40k because right? I think that can be dangerous to fall into that trap Yeah. Um, without conversion work with some weaponry that fits 40k. I don't know. But um, yeah, so I went more kind of, if I was doing this out of the Kits Games Workshop already produced with barely any conversion work, I'd get the gruff face Ripper guys, my standard war boss, get a cool kind of fantasy feral looking weird boys dancing around crazy. Um, and then, yeah, Gretchen kits, Orc boy kits, where I'd make sure they were slug a chopper, and then, yeah, the squid buggy, um, and probably, I'd probably want to have a gargantuan squig off, just because, hell yeah. Cool. That's,
3: cool. that's how I would do it. Fair enough.
0: Well, that's probably not how I would do it, because Sam got me very excited by doing no. the fantasy kits. But, I think yeah. I, I was trying to come up with a Easy way to represent them without having to go crazy, either the third parties or using Sigma models or trying to convert a load of stuff. I just went, Well, what do they have that use squigs? Tank busters, squig buggies, normal boys would just make sure they're not got shooters, load of Gretchen, like a war boss that's holding a squig, perfect. You know, just ticks all the boxes, very easy to do straight
3: out of box. Cool. Cool. Um,
2: For me, I think the war boss would have to be uh, riding on a boar and be armed with like two massive blades that he could, biggest blades he could possibly carry. Um, But yeah, I didn't realise that at the time when I thought about this, boar boys didn't seem to exist in the 40k anymore. Um so yeah, it'd have to be kind of like uh, a war boss on a bike, but maybe use um one of the Gore Grunters as that bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um and then yeah, have him in some form of forty K esque sort of orc style armour, so bits of metal here and there, but more focusing on that whole uh trophies to go with it. Um but as for a force itself, my my knowledge of orcs is rather lacking. Um <laughs> so yeah it might it would just have to be a whole huge wave of grots and uh runt herds with them and then maybe some support weapons at the back manned yeah, by more grots. Runs.
0: Yeah, yeah yeah it's a very grot heavy army isn't it? Um the one thing I noticed is that like, obviously I've got my converted land speeders into orc buggies and they're all driven by grots. But so yeah. that actually fits. That would fit quite well. But so I'm now starting to look at my things and I'm like, no no no, that kinda works. <laughs> um but yeah. I Joe you know I never thought of before until doing this segment is having an orc army that looks kinda like a Eldar army. You know how you used to have like you know, you would get your um guardians in the you know the uh, craft world colours and their craft world unit or whatever, but then you'd have yeah. your bright green striking scorpions and your bone-colored banshees and all these different colors of all these different things coming together. It would be kind of cool to have an orc army with mixed-matched clans. You'd have to obviously play under one rule set and stuff, but in terms of aesthetics and painting, you could have, you know, here's your goths, but they've got a unit of, you know, these Gretchen or these orc boys that they've kind of brought into the war are actually snake bites. You use the savage orc models. Yeah, you know, or you make your bikers on the balls
1: and just make them look different. You know, see that would um, be cool. I don't, I don't understand because that happens, right? It's just yeah, yeah. like it's not like um, I wonder if there's a mechanic in in forty k orcs to be able to combine or have different have different um, warlords, not warlords, have different uh, clans because that happens. It wouldn't. It would make sense for it to to be in the game, even if you just did it as a, a modelling opportunity, right?
0: Oh yeah, no, exactly. In modelling, you can easily do it because it's up to you, right? But um, I mean, I think you can probably take allied detachments and yeah. access the different. You know, orcs can ally with orcs, and you just bring a different clan type. Um, I think you can you can
3: do that in forty k. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Well,
1: I think that's kind of the end, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, see you next month. Bye.
2: has <laughs> <laughs> yeah. been. Neil, and uh, he's been
0: Sam.
1: Someone's been Neil somewhere. So
0: someone's someone's been Neil somewhere.
1: Someone's been Neil somewhere. <laughs> anyway, right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back with the final segment, uh, which is a mystery. Matt, your wife is ringing me. Cool. Oh.
5: to stroke sam's ego so i don't have it as much then please leave the adeptus Terror podcast and itunes review if that's the platform in which you listen to them on the reviews do help them to at least attempt to do better and it does make their little faces light up when they see the five stars to so do the right thing and leave them a review thank you am i
0: done no oh, are we ready
3: welcome yeah. back
0: Nice. Here we are with our 30K book club. Um, so I'm leading this one, or marshalling this one, as we like to call it, behind the curtain. Um, and we are covering The Vengeful Spirit by Graham McNeil. Um, this happens to be the next one, I think, in Sam's book order, where he was up to. I read this one before because someone said that Russ was in it, so, you know, I had to read it. Um,
1: For all those five and, pages.
0: Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, spoiler alert, he's not in it much. I was kind of deceived.
4: <laughs>
0: um, so, yeah, so we're going to talk about this book. Um, as usual, I'm going to go for a quick synopsis, which I've kind of written rather than just read off the back of the book. Sam. Um, I'm going to go through the yeah. main character.
1: There's nothing wrong with that. That's what a synopsis is. Why would I try and use something that's already written on, that, use something that's not already available?
0: True. Fair enough. Fair enough. <coughs> Carry on. Uh, then we're going to go through the kind of main characters of the book, and there are a lot of characters in this book, but I've kind of tried to cut the main characters down uh, to the ones that actually appear for more than five minutes. <laughs> and then we'll go through kind of the main occurrences in the book, a little bit of a breakdown of hopefully avoiding most of the kind of, this happened, then this happened, and this happened. There'll be a bit of that, of course. And then I've got three kind of main themes or, or um, topics that I think the book touches on that we'll discuss hopefully towards the end of this segment. Um, so yeah, hopefully you enjoy uh, the the going through of the book. Hopefully you enjoyed the book whenever you read it. And uh, let's get going, I suppose. Um, synopsis of the book. So the, again, I, you read the back of the book and I'm a bit like, does that tell you anything? But I've tried to make my synopsis a bit more of a kind of setting the scene, but also Semi telling you what's kind of going on in the story, so I don't have to do that later on. Um, Horus is looking to become as strong as the Emperor, and he may have now found a way to do so. A mystery lies at the heart of the planet Moloch, uh, which has been held secret by the Emperor, even from his sons. After this is discovered, Horus, with the help of his brothers Wartarian and Fulgrim, looks to claim this mystery for himself, and will stop at nothing to get it. Meanwhile, a prodigal son returns to the Ventral spirit, on a scouting mission for the Wolf King. Garviel Loken and his knight's errant come to prepare the way and perhaps settle some scores of their own in the process. The vengeful spirit, everybody. Um, the main character in this book, like I said, there are many, many characters that appear, but I think the main characters are, firstly, from the Sons of Horace, you have Horace Lubricol, uh little Horace Aximund, uh, Ezekiel Abaddon, um, Noctua and Kyber, now, they are the two new Mournival members that have replaced uh, Lokan and uh, Torgaddon from the first trilogy. Um, and the reason I've included those is they pop up again and again. They don't have major roles in some ways, but Abaddon uh, you know, in this book actually doesn't seem to have too much going on. It's mainly um, Horus Acton and, and Horus himself but they are the new Mournivore, and I think this book does a big thing and when we get to those themes at the end, about kind of reflecting back and journeying you through the heresy. The fact that the new Mournivore are mentioned and appear again and again and again are a mirror image of the old Mournivore that once was, that included Loken and Orgarden. And I think that's uh, quite a big thing in the background of the book. Uh, alongside them, you have uh, Lokan, Loken, um, Tubal Cain, Uh, Rubio, Baron, Savarian, and Torfinger. Now these are the main characters of actually not all surviving but um, main characters within the Knight's Errant of the book. This is a team that Loken kind of gets put in charge of to go onto the Vengeful Spirit and they're basically on a scouting mission to help the base Wolves later on attack Vengeful Spirit. Um, Oh and Eacton Cruz, the Half Herd. Who's uh, also another character from the original trilogy, kind of uh, of the heresy, the half heard,
1: the half herd and now half a face.
0: Yeah, half a face and no hearts. Yeah, <laughs> <Spoiling>. <laughs> Um On the traitor's side, you also have um, the Red Angel, um, who is a uh, kind of possessed blood angel um, from uh, Cygnus, I think, or he at least the the demon kind of talks about being from Cygnus and the, the uh, altercation with the blood angels over there. Um, you also have Mortarion, Primark of the Death Guard, and Gulgor, who is uh, a, a character that returns after the flight of the Eisenstein. He's, is
3: that the fourth book? Yeah, that's the fourth book of the Heresy.
0: Um, if you said something there, no, I didn't hear it. It's all right. Oh, I'm Death just agreeing Girl. with you. That's fine. Just didn't want it to be that we couldn't hear you all or something. Um alongside that you have House Divine. Well, I've suddenly started
3: hearing myself twice.
0: Alongside that, you have House Divine, um who basically Raven and Albard are the only two real ones that should be mentioned. They are um a knightly house, um the biggest knightly house on Moloch and then they come into play during the story. Um, a, a storyline that I really don't think even needs to be in this book, but we'll get to that later on. Um, and then you have uh, Olivia. Uh, I can't remember her surname. I apologise. Listening to on Audible, I didn't have it written down um, this time around. Um, but, uh, yeah, Olivia, who is a kind of intriguing new character, who um, by the end of the book, I, I think you kind of have it confirmed that she's a Perpetual, and uh, knows John Grammaticus, and even knew the Emperor, which is quite cool. Um, And she kind of plays, I don't know, I felt like she was going to play a bigger role in this book, and she's definitely worth mentioning because of the things she gets up to, but yeah, not as as impactful as I thought she was going to be.
1: That's this entire book though,
0: right? (laughs) Yeah, there is a lot of that, to be honest. Um, special mentions, I think these guys who appear in the book but aren't insanely integral to the plot. Um, you've got uh, Malkador the Sigilite, Lehman Russ um, playing chess, <laughs> their own version of chess, whatever they're doing. Um, Mercedes Olaton, which is a callback to, again, the original trilogies, um, or trilogy, I should um, Fulgrim, Demon Primark Fulgrim, I should say. Uh, Dawn has about two seconds in the book. Uh, you also have Samus returning. That's the first demon that um, Loken comes across in the original trilogy. As well as there's other knights errant. So there's a Raven Guard guy and an Iron Hand guy. And they just didn't have crazy lot to do other than be introduced and die. <laughs> so I kind of clubbed them under some other knights errant. But so they're not been forgotten about. They're just not. A major role, or going to live on to potentially have a major role in another story. Um, and lastly, uh, from the Sons of Horus, you have uh, Targos, who's like the lodge master, and Malagos, the Twisted. You kind of pop up and down, but yeah. Again, I don't. I wouldn't say our main Targos could. You could include as a main character, maybe, but he doesn't have that much time in the book, so I didn't include him. Either. Um, anyone I'm, I'm missing gentlemen I think that's everyone
2: that out. I think me. you've pretty much covered them all
1: no it's I guess it's that classic Horace Heresy novel though right where there's like a billion named characters that have one-liners and then disappear again like there's yeah obviously you've got the Ultramarines you've got the Blood Angels that are out there as well and yeah,
0: yeah yeah so there's um, uh, Proximo Tarkon is an Ultramarine who fights Horace in the Void War early on in the book and you find out he's alive at the end of the uh, well towards the end of the book, who then ends up dying. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's kind of, he's there as a tool for the story but isn't a main character and they don't spend much time developing him as a character Mm -hmm. because he's just a a vehicle to get a point across Um, or at least be in the centre of what's going on in in those small moments. Um, But yeah, I mean, I was... Nothing really took me by surprise in this book in terms of characters. Right? I, I thought the voices of the sons of Horus was interesting. I was expecting more bestial, growly nature, a bit more space wolf, maybe. I don't know why. Um, but when they started talking, I was like, they're quite stately. They're almost more ultramarine
1: sounding
0: um, in the way they were chosen to be portrayed in the audible, um, which took me by surprise. I didn't dislike it, but it was just, I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting it seemed quite stately and well-reserved and well-mannered. And I was like, oh, I expect them to be a bit more savage. I'm not sure why. Um, I don't know if that was just me being weird or whether that's my picture of Sons Horus is skewed. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that, that kind of took me by surprise. Um, but yeah, they're the main characters, really. There's not much to talk about characters other than list them because what happens to them is the, the main story, right? Um we start off in part one, Fathers. Um, and really this part is is a mass setup to all of the things that are to come. Um Horace's goal is revealed very early in the book that he, he's aiming to become like the emperor. Um, you know, he almost needs to become a god to kill a god. Yeah, there's lots of talk about gods and um right at the beginning of the book there's quite a cool uh, few sentences about you know remembering the old gods and These gods that were once worshipped and now no longer exist. And the emperor is just going to be another one of them because I must kill him. Um, And there's three main threads in in this part one. You have the sons of Horus and their goal to um, go to Molech and discover this mystery, um, which we'll break into in a second, as well as Loken forming his team of knight-errants and starting to travel towards the vengeful spirit on his mission. And then lastly, the storyline based within the, the night house on Moloch, um, as well as some of the other defenders who are preparing for Horace's arrival. This is where you kind of have a few time scenes of ultramarines and Blood Angels as well. Uh, in these early stages, we discover the mystery of Moloch and the realization that the Emperor tampered with the memories of his sons um, about this planet specifically. And uh, that really raised the stakes for the reader, in my opinion. It did for me. Like, oh, wow, the Emperor's like pampered with you know, like Horus and who else was there. Maybe the Khan, I think, was mentioned. Um, a few of his sons who were on Molech with him before, before all of this craziness. And he chose to hide something from them. But whatever they're going for is clearly very important. I thought that did a good job as a mechanic to go, this is important, that's why we need to go there. This isn't an ordinary planet invasion that we're just reading about. This is something different.
1: Yeah, it's because they have that moment where he gathers he gathers, um, Mortarian and the Phoenic, Phoenician or Phoenician or whatever. Phoenician. 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 He gathers fulgrim uh, to uh, the great dome on a world they've just conquered. And he's like, do you yeah. do you remember Molech? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we, we remember Molech. And he's like, oh, but do you really remember Molek?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, so what's there? Um, the... The planet they're on is uh, called Dwell, and Horace has uh, taken this world because they have a really interesting way of retaining history. Where they, uh, at the end of their life, they can volunteer to plug into the the most like a hive mind, yeah, like a matrix system. Um, and uh, Horace uh, communes with a commander that he knew who was there on this planet y- years ago. And it's not a commander, by... is it?
1: It's the. Um... Is it? I it's mentioned. a, um, what they call, the ones that remember, the Remembrancers, there you go. <laughs> it it can be a Remembrancer who was on Molek with him, I think. Yes,
0: yeah, and then ch- chosen to like plug into this well yeah. machine rather than die.
1: Yeah, because uh, it's the whole, he becomes almost the greatest Remembrancer, right? Because yeah, he can pass on the information.
0: Yeah, so um, yeah, that's how he finds out about the fact that this e- has even happened. Um, and there's some cool stuff that happens in Dwell, one of which comes up in my highlights, so I won't mention it yet. Nope. Um, but yeah, we don't spend long on Dwell, and then we're off to Moloch, because Horace is is sure that whatever the Emperor did on Moloch is going to be key for him defeating the Emperor. Yeah. Um, we also get, um, in this part, Loken meeting with Russ and um, uh, Malkador, and being given the mission to go and infiltrate the Vengeful Spirit and put markers down so the Space can can, uh, when they attack the Vengeful Spirit on force, being led by Russ, they know where to go in the ship and have um, things set up for them that will make it easier for them to win the day.
1: Again, super weird. It's basically a suicide mission at this point, right?
2: Yeah, kind of. Well, I mean, yeah. Sorry, I find that that's this particular part of the, the novel or this story arc, the most interesting out of the three. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, the,
0: it, I, I would agree, just because you've got Loken and everything he's going it's through. It's
2: something, yeah, it's something different. It's not, this is Horace, this is what Horace is doing. It's it's more, it's a s- more subtle yeah. thing. A bit cool. like um, the stuff that will get mentioned about Olivia and all the stuff that goes on with her.
1: I, I felt yeah. like there was, like, I understand the first chunk of this book, Fathers, um, it, it, it sets up, right? It yeah, sets up the rest of the story. But there is a lot of gumph in this first section, which uh, is... John, which...
0: this is probably the part that I enjoyed the most. Really? Yeah. I don't yeah, know, it have, just... You have all interactions and introductions yeah. of these new characters, as well as, you know, like, re-meeting up with Loken, finding that the reason he's even gone is because uh the ghost of kind of Tarek Torgadan is kind of willing him to go and you know do something and he's he's a bit weirded out and then he gets to see Mercedes Olaton, which is my next bit you know one of these original trilogy characters like Cruz um and uh yeah, you're kind of getting these callbacks to what was, and now you're seeing it in the reality of what is yeah. Loken is really yeah. the machine for that right you've got this. In the first trilogy, a loyal son of Horus, a lunar wolf of lunar wolf, um uh, uh loyal to the core. And now he's kind of gone through that, got buried on S1-3, lost his mind, regained it, kind of. And he's a broken former self, trying to serve the Empress still. And now he's faced with going back to his legion on a kind of suicide mission. Um And all of the emotion floods back, which isn't made any easier from him meeting Mercedes in a cell who's there to just rot because they don't know if they can trust her. And that was quite hard for him to see. And then, yeah, he nearly kills Cruz over it because he knows and didn't tell him. Yeah, it's it's messy, messy character stuff. And that's really Mm. intriguing. Whereas I find later in the book, it's just like stuff blows up, then stuff blows up, then stuff blows up. And they're like, yeah, cool, whatever. So yeah, Um, part one ends with uh, void warfare and kind of starting the uh, and boarding of the imperial ships and weapon platforms by the sons of Horus, including Horus himself. So Horus kind of is like, "We're back in the fight. We've spent too long being distracted. I'm going to lead the force in." And everyone's like, "No, you shouldn't go." And he's like, "No, I'm going to be the first one." And, And that's kind of made a big point in this part of the book. Hmm. Um, anything else about part one that you want to I'd think t- like, I, I'm trying to not include everything that happens because yeah. hey read the book for yourselves guys that are listening and hopefully you really enjoy it um, we'll talk about they may come back into the play when we talk about the themes of the book but yeah I, I don't want to miss something if you think it was important
2: uh, it's just interesting how you've, you've picked up on that about Horus making sure he leads the attack which mm. is like a mirror of uh, the House knights and how the leader, the father figure, whoever of the, the house, um,
0: oh, what's name? Oh, except, take the, or
2: yeah, take the first kill, ah, uh, yeah, lead the charge. So you, you see that kind oh, of I mirror, that
0: actually. Yeah, mirroring, yeah, I haven't thought about that, but yeah, that story, sorry, that kind of all plays out in part one as well. I just didn't, haven't included it because I just hated this story.
1: Yeah, it kind of <laughs> felt a bit. Like, I get why they why yeah. they had it, and it's the whole fall of the house, fall of the world it's, type thing. And
0: it, yeah, it's a, it's a there's a mechanic there because you needed someone to turn at the end, but you could have done it so simply yeah. by just having, you know, a prideful commander who's I'm going to kill Horace, I'm going to kill Horace, but I can offer you something more. Says Lannesh <laughs> slash Fulgrim, and okay, cool, I'm now on the traitor side. Done. Yeah, yeah. Like you didn't need all this house rivalry that didn't impact anything else no that's the thing it's a very self-contained story so basically you have um, I think his name was Cyprian or Cephrian or something like that he's the the house leader he's an old man his son really hates him he's called Raven and he basically sees an opportunity and kicks him off a cliff in his night and claims ownership of the house and becomes imperial commander of Moloch
1: I also like the fact he doesn't hide like internally to his siblings and, and people he's like yeah I killed him Mm. Like it's not, it's not like a, yeah. a secret murder thing, right?
0: No, well, well, it would be to the wider Imperium. I think. Yeah, it's kind yeah. Of, you know, the the house is very insular and isolated, and they all serve this. What we find out very quickly: the serpent cult. Yeah, the serpent-headed cult, and you're like, that sounds like some Especially if you've already been introduced to Fulgrim, who's now like a giant snake. Who's snake a snake? snake demon. Yeah, <laughs> um, and you're like, ah. Oh, Okay, well, this isn't going to end well. Um, and then you find out that his older brother Albard is like um, crippled and uh, didn't fuse with his knight properly, and so he's kind of locked in a tower and kind of forgotten about because he's not worthy to leave the house one day. Um, and also, his wife, Raven's wife, is also his sister. And it's had, very like, messy. It's a bit. Yeah, it's, it's a bit
1: Game of Thronesy, right?
0: Kind of, yeah. And it's just like ah, uh, whatever. Yeah, so there's all this kind of crazy weird stuff going on at the heart of Molech with this knightly house that are kind of the highest of the highest um, and will be looked to in the defence of the war that is coming. And there's clearly something is going on at this part of the book where you are not trusting them. Um, And there is an interesting swerve on that later on which, cool, again, don't feel like it was massively needed for the end result, but um, we go on to part two, Sons. Um, so, this is the battle for Moloch, and really begins in its earnest. Um, as the battle starts to rage on Moloch, a new character um, is uh, very briefly introduced. Uh, and that's on top of all the others because you can get like Imperial Commander so and so and Imperial Commander so and so who, during their battle, hey, spoiler, gets blown up or melted or died. <laughs> um, whereas uh, this character is a little bit different. So this is a woman called Olivia. Uh, Who's been living a kind of fake life on um, uh And this really got my interest up. So we got through all the kind of setup and everything. We're into battle. And then very quickly, we're introduced to this new character um, who mentions someone called John. And my brain instantly went, John Graticus. Mm. Oh, a perpetual. Oh, this is interesting now. Is she working with the Cabal to help Horus? Is she there as a sleeper cell? from some other time um, to do a task, which is kind of actually her role. Um, and she's clearly gonna be a important figure, it felt like. Um, and so I was like, "Oh, this is interesting. I can't wait to hear more about her. Um, she's very sparse and small character in the book, but she's, she pops up here and there. And every time she popped up, I was like, my intrigue went up. I was like re-engaged. You know, sometimes when you're going for a book, especially on Audible, you kind of start losing Not interest, but just you're not taking everything in as powerfully as you were. And then every time she came up again and a brief scene, I was like, oh, what's she doing? Why is she doing that? What's going on? Because I I felt like that was going to be something pivotal. The scale of the war on Moloch is spelled out really well in this part of the book. Um, There's one fight where the Sons of Horace are attacking with 200 land raiders. And it just hit me because I was painting up my Land Raider at this point of the book. I was just putting the silver down, just nice and easy job. And I was like, I have two of these in my whole 3,000 point force of ultramarines. There are 200 in this one center column.
1: So this is where they throw uh, Land Raiders at the sea. They come out of the sea, right?
0: Yeah, they're basically a beach assault. It's pretty much D-Day, but rather than... So and the landers—it's just a land raider.
1: So we talked about this, like yes, we talked we about this, our, and honestly. this basically is what happens. Like, yeah. let's just—we'll just drive closer with our ship, and then we'll just throw the land raider at the sea. Then, like, and it's <laughs> clear they will clearly they're they're a little bit amphibious, at least like self-supporting. Like, well,
0: cool—they're just sealed.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's That's pretty it, much it. Yeah, but it's sealed, but also. The engine has to work with water, so it's amphibious in that respect as well. And it's heavy mm. enough that it can hit the, the bottom and drive along the bottom of the ocean, or yeah. it floats and the the tracks have enough have enough sticky out of bits <laughs> that they propel them <laughs> forwards. Drive like, it forward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like who knew land raiders are amphibious? Mm, as long crazy. as the the, the the person closes his, his his uh, hatch. If he doesn't close the hatch, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. they're screwed at that point. Yeah, you
0: can't yeah. have the Space Marine standing out the top. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. The you um, but uh, yeah, it just really impacted me on how small a spotlight we shine on our games when we're playing them. Yeah. Like, you know, like my whole tank company, it's a load of tanks. It's more tanks than I've ever owned. It looks quite impressive, I think, when you lay it all out. I'm like, this is just nothing. Like, it's like, what, five predators a couple of indicators, a couple of Land Raiders. It's just nothing compared to the scale that you get to experience in the books, which was really cool. Um, During one of the main assaults, Horus is nearly killed. And this is by House Divine, uh, led by uh, Raven. Um, He uh, kind of wants the glory, and he's been told by his wife, who's a prophetess of um, the Serpent Cult, that he's going to uh, have a great sway of the battle. And he's kind of like, oh, do I side with Horus or do I? Like, he's very clear. Like, I'm going to do one of them. I'm just not sure what one yet. Sees an opportunity and actually gets very close to taking out Horus. But he's saved by the Lupercar. Interestingly, this is the second time where Horus says the words, I should be dead. The first one is when um, he's attacked on Dwell by um, Shadrach Meduson's um, Black Shields in the Fire Raptors. And Fulgrim saves him by putting up a kind of a warp force field. Um, and so this is the second time in the book that he's been saved by some other sorcerous means based through chaos, which I thought was really intriguing um, and would push him further to seek that power for himself. So I think that's quite a big bit. Um, I don't think I've mentioned yet, but they've created almost uh, a back of the Sons of Horus called the Lubricay. And they're basically possessed legionnaires who are now endowed with that power. Very strong, very not tied down to the material realm, can take vast punishment and keep going, um, as well as access to the warp powers. Um, So yeah, they're quite cool. I think at one point they talked about there being 53 of them. But I
2: can't remember why. It it strikes me that Horus is very um careless. <laughs> In especially through the first two section the first two parts is he almost dies after an assassination attempt. And yes. then he recovers. And then he goes to lead the battle and uh yeah, he gets almost dies again. It's just like
0: oh, it, how can yeah, you why be are this... you not
2: being <laughs> How, why are you not being smarter?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you do get, I suppose, towards the end, you do get him learning from that because he's very far away and a certain titan explodes.
4: <laughs>
0: mm. At least he's not right in the middle of the fighting when that happens. he's kind of learned, maybe. I don't know, or he's you know, I I feel like it might be a, a degradation of character that he's like actually no, I will like you get I will be the first on the ships the boarding action because I want people to know that this is my war and my choice to be here. Then you get um uh then you get him, you know, in the front land raider, Spartan, whatever it was, rushing up the beach to to assault the Black Mountain or whatever it was called. Um because it's important for my legionnaires to see me at the front. And then towards the end he's like, Do you know what? now nah, screw that. I'm gonna stay way back here where it's safe because I've got plans and other people can do the dying for me. Mm. It's a changing kind of—I don't know if that's there as a subtle hint, at, hint towards him changing his morals of fighting. Yeah, you know, especially as one of the other Primarchs that they've already mentioned and talked about is um, Lehman Russ, is the main loyalist one, and he's all about being at the front and fighting, um, and yeah, fighting hand hand to hand with his brothers and with his sons and Horace is very much like that at the beginning of the book, and then towards the end isn't. And whether that's scenario-based or whether that's character-based, I'm not sure. Um, um, yes, yeah, so I'm chucking the whole House Divine part of the story in here together. It does stretch over part two and part three, but it's just easier to talk about in one chunk, and then be done with it. <laughs> um, so yeah uh, Raven comes back and he's, he's lost two of his sons in the fight with Horus and he's really frustrated and his wife is kind of, and his sister is like no I've seen the vision it's you, know, it's you in Banalash I think is the name of his knight um, you're going to turn the tide of battle, go into the forest and find the white naga which is like the patron saint of the uh, serpent cult and it's basically Sinesh. goes into the jungle. Um, he has a confrontation with Sinesh and actually turns away from him. Um, and, and soon after that, finds himself um, uh, basically paralyzed, unable to move, and climbing out of the, this trance. And his older brother, who's um, now in his old mother's exosuit, <laughs> um, is basically going to kill him and take the house for himself. And you're kind of like, oh, yeah, good old Albard. He's gone through all this suffering and he's near death and he's been crippled by his own family and mistreated. Gets revenge on this evil guy who's now the head of the Imperial Army. And you're like, oh, cool, this fixes stuff. Except you have this whole raven actually turns down Samesh and turning to Horus. And in, in the end, in part three, we find that actually Solanesh then um, kind of seduces Albard once he's in the night, in his brother's night and the rightful head of the house um, to turn to his side. And actually he then corrupts himself and becomes part of Horace's army and, and a servant of Solanesh. And you're kind of like, well, what was the point of all that?
2: But then there's 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 potential foreshadowing for this with the fact that he's keeps that pet snake around.
0: Yeah, there really is. Yeah.
2: So potentially that could be shown as a sign of foreshadowing for his decisions, maybe.
0: Yeah. Well, I think there are there are hints because he also talks about he um, Raven's third son often went to visit Albard mm. and talked with him, and he was really high up in the serpent cult. Um, uh, and stuff, and he, he, he Alba did kill that son, but he says because I knew that he wouldn't, you know, like side with me once I killed you and your wife, yeah, to, to Raven. So he kind of had to do it rather than massively wanted to. There are hints that it's going to go this way, um, and and I'm not necessarily against the swerve. I think it's cool. It's right in style. It's something I didn't massively see coming to start with, like, I hadn't picked up on those threads. Um, but it was also a bit like, okay, so you had the old dad who's a bit rubbish, gets killed, and the youngest son is is evil and you're just so sure he's going to fall to some edge. Then he doesn't, but he's still evil, kind of, because of all the stuff he's been doing and does, and he's just selfish and everything. He doesn't have any redeeming in that moment. He just didn't go that way. And then he's killed and you're like, oh, okay, well, cool. Now we're back to this. And then Albard is tempted so that he can betray the loyalists and blow up the imperiator Titan or whatever it is um, for Horus and basically wins the battle. And the, the vision that Lix, the wife of Raven, has is of that knight rather than Raven doing it, of Banalash the knight, which is being piloted by Albard. To turn the tide for Horace, And you're kind of like, okay, but you could have skipped all of that out of this book and just had Raven start the book as the night guy who, you have a couple of scenes of him being selfish and horrible. You have him fall to Sinesh. You have him kill the Titan. Done. Like The to and fro of the brothers and the serpent cult
3: and I don't know. It's not badly written. It's not badly done. It's just something that I just didn't really need. Yeah, I get that. Yeah.
0: Um, Anyway, Uh, where we at? So uh, yeah, we get this. uh, Horace is kind of leading this battle through, following the psychic-like residue of the emperor's presence, uh, which was a pretty crazy thought. Uh, We even get a psychic trap left by the emperor. It's almost an apparition of himself or some kind of godly being. Um, and Horus, I think, ends up destroying it, slash killing it. It wasn't really there, but somehow kills it. Um, And I think the book does a really good job at showing how strong the Emperor is above his sons, and it makes sense to why Horus would seek out that same power. It makes his goals realistic and and make sense, rather than it just being like, oh, Horus is going over the top to get this one planet, because the Emperor was there once kind of mm. justifies what he's going for. Because you get this sense that the emperor is just like just glowing and leaving this psychic like residue anywhere he goes on any planet he went, even hundreds of years ago. And Horace is like, I want that power for myself. And I need that power if I'm going to complete my mission. Um when they kind of defeat that psychic trap, the memories are restored and they suddenly know where they need to go and what happened. Um, and you kind of get this uh, hinting slash pretty much telling that the Emperor gained powers from the Chaos Gods and then tricked them, basically, to give them power.
3: To give him power, So, Which I thought was a really
0: kind of uh, uh, cool way of, of explaining why the Emperor is as powerful as he is, but also doesn't make him like this perfect being. Because, yeah, heresy, 40k, no one's really the good guy. Um, and, and it just adds to that lie like I can imagine Horace hearing that and, and working that out and being like like, yeah you're a liar like why did I ever trust you why did I ever love you like a mm. father yeah this is
3: ridiculous um, I even suggest
0: that I think the, the kind of the creation of the Primarchs is actually the big kind of trick that the Emperor makes but that's the part that really annoys chaos which is really interesting. And why that would be, I don't know, but that's the thing that that triggers all the kind of interruption of chaos and the separation of the Primarch. But do you think this is... Everything
1: else. Do you think this is the... Because obviously there's a... I guess there's two schools of thought here, right? Either Horace is being led by chaos, as in tricked by chaos, when he was stabbed and brought back and he is a being for them. But I, I think there's... Definitely lines of Horace trying to use Chaos instead so that he's not, he's not a puppet, he's using them for the skill.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one of the main themes. I think um, Horace's relationship with Chaos is really interesting in this book. When he talks to the different demons, how he talks to them, what he's after, why he's after it, I think is um, much more complex than I want to serve you or I <laughs> want to control you. It's kind of almost like a partnership, and and working out what he can give while taking this constant kind of agreement battle, almost. Um, but yeah, so anyway, he he uh, has his memories restored, and the, and remembers that he needs to go to Lupercalia, which is an area on Monix that's ironically named after the War Master, uh, because of course it is. <laughs> um, the, this part ends with uh, the Knights Errant kind of finally arriving on the Ventral Spirit to start their somewhat stealthy mission. They get into fights quite quickly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they kind of start their mission on the uh, Ventral Spirit. and It was kind of nice, I thought, to have it come in so late. Like It felt like they were really travelling to the Ventral Spirit and where they were at Moloch. It wasn't like we need to go and do this and then paragraphs later we're here yeah it felt like there was actual travel they, time
1: they, it, it does feel like that sometimes in in heresy they're like oh mm. we need to go and find the war master we found him <laughs> like mm. it's like it's ship travel right and, and actually it's always especially on the side of the loyalist ship travel is always portrayed as being really difficult because of chaos is always trying to slow them down and yeah
0: yeah, no, I thought it was really good. It also meant that you weren't jumping in that part, in the second part. You weren't going, Knight Errant, Molech, Nighthouse, this, that, this, that. Like It was just like, most of it was Battle of Molech and the things going on there in different areas of the world. Because um, you've got all the Death Guard stuff in that as well, which I'll talk about in part three just because of the way this flowed. But a lot of that's going on in part two as well. Um but yeah, part three, ghosts. So this is the last part of the book. Um, Horace is winning the war and you kinda of get the climax of the book on the vengeful spirit. So Horace's assault is led by a badon and five hundred terminators, which again scale. It really made me think about our list choices and whether actually like whole armies of Terminators make so much more sense because you're following that part of the battle. Like, you're very unlikely to find here's five Terminators with 20 Assault Marines, with like, you know what I mean? Now, the way our lists are built doesn't really represent what's actually going on in these battles all the time. I thought that was, that was kind of interesting. Made me think about those mono build lists are actually more thematic to the law or e- easier to tie into the law, even though actually they potentially are a bit more bland and probably less. Uh, tactically advantageous to, yeah. to take a so whole army of breaches would be awesome right? just a bunch of breaches in a bunch of tanks very simple very you know, very mono but would be how like, a legion waged war rather than being like I've got my breaches in this land raider and then I've got this land raider with terminators and this land raider with tactical marines and yeah 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 not that i'm necessarily suggesting anything but they were the things that were popping into my head as i was reading especially about the scale i mentioned the 200 land raiders earlier and now we've got 500 land mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um we also get to see the red angel um who is released to pretty much tempt the blood angels to his side to open a hole in the middle of the wall um and become his blood letters, which I thought was a really interesting uh, word that I wasn't expecting to read in a heresy book. Um, and they all, in a mental scene, basically kill themselves instead. Yeah. Yeah. They'll yeah. take their gladiuses and just murder it themselves because they don't want that to happen. Um, out of almost fear because they saw what could happen at Cygnus. Like, yeah, you know, even like talks about like almost like the red mist. And, and there's this problem with the Legion now and actually they're so frightened to become that they would rather stay honorable and just kill themselves which I thought was really cool but I just was not expecting that no, no was, there was I was expecting them to deny and then get ripped apart by the red angel
1: because he has because they um a lot of them so when they fought to the red the red mist and it's don't forget it's not black first it's not all of that uh, the later yeah. stuff it's that they go a bit blood crazy yeah um and and they can they can come back from it they can snap themselves out of it etc um but they tend to then try and atone for it um so like in this the guy falls to it and i think he murders loads of army personnel um in this in this book is it this one or something else anyway no nah, it's not in this book but they normally try and atone for it yeah but yeah it's interesting
0: yeah, I thought that was kind of just a crazy scene that I wanted to mention because I was just like not expecting it. I was expecting them to deny it and be honourable and then just get murdered because of it. And they, instead they just went this martyr route almost of like, no, we would rather die for what we believe in than become this other option. Yeah. I thought that was, that was quite cool and was not unexpected.
1: Typical, you were the um, chosen one.
0: Um, alongside the Sons of Horus attack, we have the Death Guard. So, uh, in kind of part two, they've started. They start in a different area of Moloch, um in a jungle that's kind of so dangerous. It's full of beasts and scary monsters, and uh, is patrolled by Imperial personnel to keep control of. And um, you get the Death Guard just land with uh, Rulgor who is uh, the life-eater virus reborn. Um, he's an individual that is killed on the Eisenstein by a life-eater virus um, bomb that goes off inside the ship, I believe, in a certain sector. Um, and he's been brought back by chaos with, by uh, Mortarium. Um, And I talk about that scene a little bit later on in the kind of uh, bigger themes of the book. Um, and yeah, he's just basically unleashing this new power that he has and just melting the entire jungle, causing all the monsters that live in it to basically run for their lives to the Imperial lines and just run through them. And that was quite an ingenious strategy. The Death Guard just follow up and just basically mop up whatever defenders are left. Um, they later meet up with the Sons of Horus and basically both Mor- Horus and Mortarion embrace like brothers that have never been closer. This is like the end of the war. Um, we jump at this point, we jump to our Knights Errant, um, who come across one of the original lodge meeting spaces within the eventual spirit. Um, and I like this. They had that um, saying, like, I think Loken's looking around, and one of the other Knights Errant's is like, Oh, do you recognize this place? And Loken says, I can't say, which is the secret lodge's um, uh, catchphrase for if someone asks about it who isn't part of it. Yeah. Um, I just love that little callback. Mm. Um, uh, it's now a temple and some cultists come in led by Targost who's like the old lodge master Um, and they bring Ultramarine's Proximo Tarkon who's still alive at the moment he's out of armour he's stripped down he's he's in a kind of drugged state Um, but yeah he's a guy who fell to Horus um, the opening salvos of the book I think no towards the end of part one in the void warfare he's on one of the ships and they basically are planning to sacrifice him to bring forward a demon. And Targos gets shot in the head. But then once they murder all the cultists and they go and check on Targos, make sure he's dead, it suddenly sits up and says, Samus is here. Samus is the brother beside you. and da, 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 All the stuff. That's his whole
1: his, uh, his, spiel. His, his spiel his, his, yeah, I, I know. I know it went too well.
0: Yeah. Um, again, that's from the original trilogy. And it's the first demon that Loken slays he, I think um, Vipers. I can't remember the name of the guy who gets taken over by Samus. But um, yeah, it was a really cool um, callback, and then you get this brutal, very quick fight. And Tarkon, the um, Ultramarine, suddenly snaps to knows what's going on, picks up his old Gladius, and slays Samus suddenly, which is this surprise. On like, how does this suddenly just kill a demon? There's always talk of like them stabbing and shooting at this um, mass that is growing out of Sargor, Torgas, coming Samus, and nothing's really hurting him. And then this blade just kills him. And I never really explain why. Now, mm. I might be getting confused here. Is it the dagger that they were going to use, that Targos was going to use to kill Tarkon? Or is it Tarkon's own gladius? Because I'm pretty sure it was his own weapon.
2: Uh, I'm not entirely sure. No, I'd
0: uh, I, I do not worry if you're not, but Um The reason I ask is if it was the ceremonial dagger that was going to be used to like kill Tarkon and summon a demon, then it would make sense that maybe that dagger has some demonic power to it. But if it's Tarkon's own weapon, doesn't, why does his GLaDUS have that special ability?
1: Does um is, it, is this in this is in the one where he goes and brings the demon into the body, right? And he goes and kills the, the highborn of that world with the dagger. Is that that one? Is it the same no. dagger?
0: Oh, maybe. I don't know.
1: Because it was the, the dagger is the one where that happens. Is it, um, It's the dagger. Who made it? Oh, man. Uh, Erebus.
3: Erebus.
0: Erebus made the dagger.
1: And he made like three of them or something like that. Yeah. Um, so
0: if it, yeah, so if it's that, it makes sense. But I'm pretty sure it talks about it being his own gladius because he leans over Loken and goes, "This is mine," and takes it and kills Samus.
1: Huh? Answer on a postcard, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like again, like it's one of those things you listen to it and then you kind of come to talk about it a little while later. No, it like, is his oh. own
1: gladius. It is. Oh, cool. Yeah, so
0: I don't like. There's something special about that gladius. I guess. Is it Proximo
1: never- Tarkron? Yes. Yeah. yeah, 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 and then yeah, because yeah. then he yeah, it is his own gladius.
0: Yeah, oh, Okay. Cool. Um, Noctua, who's one of the new Mournful yeah. members, captures the surviving knights errant and brings them to Horace's kind of, um, I don't know what you call it, like throne room. Um. At this point, we jump back. So I'm going to jump in a little bit back and forth, but this is the end of the book, so you kind of have to kind of resolve the story. Um, And we get the fight on Moloch's surface with Olivia. So she's sent her fake family off the planet on a refugee ship. And she's snuck in, got the surviving Ultramarines, about 30 or so of them that are stranded on the planet. And they um, go to where this warp gate is that the Emperor once opened to gain his power, whatever power. um, And she is trying to seal it so um, Horus can't do the same. Um, the sons of Horace and Death Guard turn up and Horace enters uh, the restored warp gate after murdering everyone, including Olivia. Olivia says a sentence to Horace of something like, even the worst people remember their good in the end, or something like that. I can't remember what it was. Um, some kind of profound proverb that I may come into play, uh, who knows. Um, and then she dies. And you're like, oh, okay, I thought she was going to be maybe successful at sealing it, and Horace would have to murder one of his own sons or something to get <laughs> access. Or I don't know, I was kind of expecting something along those lines. But she just fails and gets impaled on uh, Horace's talent and then dies. Um, and then he opens up the uh, restored warp gate with his own blood after Mortarian slices across him with his man-reaper. Um, and he enters the realm of chaos i guess um we don't get much of horace in this realm but you do get a conversation with the red angel who's in his true form in this realm and he's kind of baiting and, and uh, being aggressive towards horace horace hasn't treated him that nicely in the other realm <laughs> and horace basically threatens him and says i can kill you even here and take me to your masters basically and then we get left with him being the guide to horace he pops back moments in reality that have been ages in the immaterial. He's like, you stayed. And he's like, yeah, you've been gone like two minutes. What are you chatting about? Aximund <laughs> is like, what are you talking about? Crazy film. Um, Yeah. Now, Horace has seemed to have aged, but he's stronger than ever, uh, making you think that he's made some deal. Something has happened where he's gained this power, whatever this power is. It's very mysterious and kind of left for your own imagination. Interesting. Um, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, you don't get any conversation with Chaos Gods and him about what he promises or what they offer. It just, he comes back and he is imbued with this power. Um, and we finish the book basically on the Vengeful Spirit. This is the last big scene. Uh, Horace is back with his new Mornivore and uh, all the surviving uh, Knights Errants are all kneeling and um, being held by the Lubricai. Um, demon marine foods and uh, L- Loken is being tempted back to the legion and uh, he, he resists and all hell breaks loose and some cool fighting happens and we end up with the death of the Cruz, the half-herd um, now he's uh, earlier in the book he is kind of prophesied over in terms of he will be the half-herd no longer um, and this whole idea that Loken, like it was his words that brought Loken from that therapist and snapped him back to reality and said, no, I am who I am and I will fight against you, Horace, and you are, you've betrayed me and everything that you said you were. Um, and the death of Cruz is really this pinnacle moment, I think, in um, the story of this book. You, know, you have, he is the quintessential lunar wolf. What was? And he now is no more, because that doesn't exist anymore. The lunar wolves are gone have been gone for a, t- a long time at this point, but they are spiritually gone. The Sons of Horus are something completely different. And Horus himself is now completely different. All that was has died. And something new is now in its place. And this book is really that story of change and loss. And um, every character, and this is kind of bleeding into my bigger point, every character that we come across in this book is almost talked about as if what they have already gone through. When Mortarion's introduced, you find out it's after he's lost his fight with the Khan on Prospero, or and Fulgrim, you find out that he's already a demon primarch, and they're questioning about where is Perturabo and how is Perturabo from, um, what, what's that book called? Uh,
2: Angel Extermin- Exterminatus. Exterminatus, yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so it does that job of telling you where we are in the heresy and what these characters have gone through, how they have changed. De- uh, the Cruise, uh, cruise's death at the end by the hand of Horus is really that story of what once was of the legions, the traitor legions, this particular traitor legion, and the Primarch is no more. But the old guard is dead, and this is something new. Uh, I kind of like that that imagery that they paint with his death and how poignant it is. Um, you then get Rubio, Loken, Varon who's the World Eater, Knights' Errant, Severian. Um, another, Sons of Horus, and Torfinger, the Space Wolf knight Aaron, um escape. Um, and they seem to have gained a str- stronger sense of brotherhood. It made me go, oh, I wonder if we're going to see that team again in future books. Um, specifically, those guys working together. Um, we also get a strange oath of moment that Cruz gave to um, Loken with one word inked on it. And he couldn't read it or something. And it's a bit like, oh, what's that for? Like a bit of intrigue at the end of the book. And the very last bit of the book that I remember is a snippet of Olivia's family on the refugee ship from Moloch. And uh, one of the daughters is reading Olivia's ancient storybook. And you actually work out, I don't know if you picked up on this, guys, but she's reading The Little Mermaid. (laughs) It's literally The Little Mermaid about a girl who... Uh, it talks about like, you know, human body, but then the legs turn into like a fishtail and how she leaves her world to be, uh, to walk among the humans. It's like, it's the Little Mermaid, which I thought was a great Easter egg. Oh, yeah, I think that's um, pretty cool. It just made me laugh. Um, and then uh, Olivia suddenly kind of steps out of the shadows and says, do you want me to read it Do you? And you're like, what the hell? Like, how is she here? She was mm. impaled on Horace's talons on the world. And this ship has already left for orbit. How the hell did she get here?
3: perpetual. Kind
0: of well, yeah, perpetual, but also mm-hmm. perpetuals aren't necessarily like space traveling. Like, how the hell did she get on that ship from where she was? Like, is, is it, it's an intrigue. It's not a hole or a problem. It's like intrigue of wow, we still don't really know who she is. Well, she's the
1: she ship. obviously she she's the keeper of the um, the warp gate, right?
0: Yeah, well, she's kind of entrusted to do that by the Emperor, from what, it's, what it seems. Yeah, um, so it would make sense
3: if she could use it.
0: Possibly, yeah. Maybe she came back to life and then used the warp gate to somehow teleport herself onto the ship. Actually, isn't mean, the I, warp
1: gate destroyed?
0: Uh, well, smashed open by Horus, so I'm guessing it's still open. Probably yeah. releasing a bunch of demons onto the world of Mollet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, who knows? I don't know, but um, it was really like, whoa, okay. So you've got that intrigue of her coming back. Um, and that's the end of the book. Um, uh, uh, hopefully we covered all the big bits without missing too much of the other stuff, um, without it being extra, extra long. And the bits I wanted to chat about, we've kind of chatted about a little bit already. Um, that is horrid relationship with chaos, um, the sense of change that we experience through the books and the characters, and the sense of loss as well. And change and loss, those two kind of blend into each other. Mm. Um, but first Taurus's relationship with chaos. So like you get those two should have been dead moments I talked about earlier. He's saved by Fulgrim and the new Lubricae. Um he interrogates the Red Angel, has a conversation with Tormageddon, one of the head of the Lubricae, um, about who do you really serve? And he's almost kind of torturing the the demon to give him the the details he wants. Um, and he's, he's really at, he's almost at odds with the chaos demons, but he knows he needs their help. I thought that was really interesting how he kind of he desires their power, but also kind of has disdain for them and doesn't trust them. And it'll be interesting to see in future books, I'm trying to think of the few that I have read past this point, of whether there are any moments where Horace seems more like, yay, chaos. I don't think that ever happens, really, does it? He kind of has this, like, it's necessary evil to get the job done. Like he's kind of trying to not be a puppet. He doesn't believe he is a puppet, even though he, he clearly is a puppet. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's like a pride there, almost a bit like. Um, uh,
3: why is my brain gone dead? Not Mortarian. Magnus the Red. You know, he
0: has a prideful thing of, I'll make a deal with Zinch and I'm more powerful than him, it'll be fine. And then, hey, that doesn't work.
3: But I think there's a really interesting
0: thing about the relationship of Horus and Chaos, how they're kind of at odds, but need each other.
1: Yeah, I think it's clearly Chaos before, before Horus didn't have a grip into the, the mortal realm, right? Otherwise you would have saw Chaos a lot more. Or, or around. So clearly it is a mutually beneficial relationship going on. And whether or not that's Chaos thinking yeah, I'm, we're in charge here, or Horace being naive and saying no, I'm in charge here, but I think they definitely need each other. Sorry, yeah, this me.
0: No. yeah. The... so I, I was just saying that. I was saying how I think um, Horace is kind of almost naive in the sense that he thinks he can use them by giving them something, but remaining himself and not being mm-hmm. used by them, yeah. whereas that's clearly what is going mm-hmm. on. Um, but yeah, I think the relationship of Horus and, and that pointing out that he kind of almost needs ho- uh, chaos to survive. The two moments he nearly gets killed, he is saved by the powers of chaos. Yeah. You know, and, and and beings mm-hmm. that are part of chaos now, Fulgrim and the Luperclang. Um which is I really mean, bad because
1: whenever you say Lubricai, I always think of Cobra Kai.
0: Yeah. Cobra <laughs> Kai. Yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah, and then you, like I say, you get that relationship that he has with the Red Angel, how like almost hateful they are to each other. Um, and Horace threatening the Red Angel, and the Red Angel threatening Horace, and neither of them liking each other, but working together. Um, I thought that was really interesting. It was actually quite a cool mirror image of actually how a lot of the. Traitor Primarchs work together as well. Yeah. They're not all like, you know, in this book, actually, I thought Mortarion and Horus seemed really close, more than I thought or remembered. Although, actually, yeah, Mortarion is fully like for Horus.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he is. You've got that whole embracing of, uh, at the end of the battle for Moloch.
0: Yeah, no, totally. Um, yeah and then I think the the big, other than that kind of little thing going on as a theme, I think there's a real sense of this change and loss in the book so you get the change wrought upon the characters and what's uh, kind of occurred being on and around Moloch, Moloch what's led them there uh, with every new introduction um, you get explained what that character has been through to bring them to this place within the heresy so for example, you get um, being told that this is after Mortarion, has faced the Khan, Fulgrim's a demon, Primark, Martar, uh, Malkador, sorry, is now starting to seem grey and drained physically. Mm. Um, uh, and so on and so forth. You know, Russ playing that outnumbered king and kind of licking his wounds and being frustrated with the, where he finds himself in the heresy. Rather than being this hero that you know, defeated the evil Thousand Sons. Um, you get a sense of time passing as we journey through the heresy in this book. You get lots of callbacks to the very start of the heresy, um, and there are really good subtle hints to trigger you thinking of what was and where we find ourselves now. And you get character moments reflecting on what has changed, even within the traitors. There's a moment where uh, this stuck with me, where Aximund is looking at his legion inside his personal land raider, and they're all wearing like trophies and... Um, or one of the guys that keeps coming up he's got like an Eye of Horus medallion he's almost kind of holding like a holy relic and how they've fallen back out of the imperial discipline and peeled away returning back to that ri- ritualistic savagery that they had before and how actually he saw that as a weird back step um, I thought that was really interesting Axeman's quite a cool character actually when you look at the subtleties. of very melancholy, and he's very actually like, are we doing the right thing? I'm not sure. But I love my Primarch, and I love my Legion. What do I do? Like, he's not like a do I like what side do I fight for? That decision has already been made. But am I am I really happy with where we're going or what we're doing in terms of like the sacrifices and yeah, having trophies and relics and this kind of sense of ritual, godly talk very seems much more kind of
3: I want to be an Imperial, but just serve Horus.
0: Um, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, you also get some cool uh, pictures painted of the changes within the Traitor Legions. Partly the trophies and stuff, but also their summoning and sorting the demons, um, having them join their ranks, uh, the way the Primarchs have changed mm-hmm. uh, and look to change further to become stronger, like Horus's drive to Get Molek, he just keeps sending his sons in, keeps sending his sons in, they're getting massacred, but he's like, It's all worth worth it because I need this. Like, I need this. Uh, you also get Mortarian's uh, murdering his death shroud and summoning Gruulgor. And just that fact that he's willing to murder his you know, some of his closest sons, you know, his bodyguard, the people that never leave his side, to bring back this one guy. And it's not like he's bringing back Typhon or someone like that, right? He's bringing back a guy who Typhon gave the job to go on the Eisenstein. Like, he's not like a super close, you go back. And I, I went back and checked. He's not like, a, this is one of my favorite sons. But he notices that he's powerful and there's something going on. So he's willing to sacrifice his legionnaires to get. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I thought that was real cool. Like, that's a subtle change in Mortarian. And within mm. other primarchs as well, which you get with the Isvarn three stuff, where you know they're willing to kill their own legions. You know, Angron going down and murdering his World Eaters, and Otarian willing to virus bomb his Death Guard, and everything else like you know, that. That turn is highlighted again in their actions in this book, and just how what was at the, before the heresy is so far gone from where we find ourselves now. I think this book does a good kind of tripped down memory lane almost to reinforce mm. that. Yeah. Um And I guess mixed up in all of that change is loss. Everything that we've lost. The heresy that's fractured the legions, fractured brothers, fractured you know, individuals within individual legions, and Loken being that driving force of everything that he's lost. Even of himself. You know, this shattered being really kind of just about holding it together. Um until the end of the book where he seems to kind of gain some more of his identity through the loss of Cruz, It was like almost his last tie to the Legion he once served. Now he has none of that. and Actually, that somehow makes him stronger. Um, but yeah, so they were the two big things that I grabbed from the book in terms of theme I felt was again and again highlighted. Um, was there anything that you guys picked up from that you really enjoyed or thought was something that kind
3: of occurred again and again and again? I think it's just that there was
2: a lot of foreshadowing of events. Throughout yeah, more, the more than I thought, mirror, actually. Mirroring of the actions of Horace and um,
3: House Devine. And, yeah, it just...
2: Yeah. So I've... <laughs> no, you've
3: you're, pretty,
0: you're much, silly, you've right?
2: pretty much said everything that i can really add good
0: no the foreshadowing thing really came out when we were chatting i hadn't thought about the um the the kind of foreshadowing that you picked out of like albard's story and house divine i made it a bit more intriguing actually seeing the foreshadowing of that as as well as foreshadowing of, of horace and all the other stuff yeah i thought that was cool that's something that didn't jump out to me when i was reading it um, shall we finish with uh, a couple of cool moments to highlight and then round out this book? I think we've been chatting long enough.
1: Yeah, so um, I can go first. So yeah. I, although it was, I felt it was slightly pointless, the The story with the knights, like I, I love a good knight story. Um, okay. So having yeah, the, that. like, because there was a few moments with knights battling against Horus. There was a few moments of knights yeah. battling against the, um, the Death Guard when all the beasts were running at them. That was cool like,
0: that bit. Yep. yeah that
1: one that bit was definitely a cool moment so i I really like how they picture knights and how they they show knights working, et cetera. I do feel that some of them weren't needed, like it didn't help the story in any way, like yeah. but like anything I, I definitely fall on the side of like Bolter and like I like that kind of stuff
0: yeah
1: okay because the the um like the first section of the book, like there are sections I was like, great. I've just spent half hour listening to, uh, to Loken walk through a palace or walk through a dungeon. That's wonderful. A wonderful use of half hour. Like, or what actually really is really cool was, although again, kind of pointless, um, the sigilite and, um, what's his face? Wolfborn. Russ. Russ. There we go. Um, the Sigilite and Russ and how they spoke to each other and, and, and mm. their interactions was really cool, like which made me start thinking, have we ever seen the Sigilite and the Emperor together in the same room in a photo? Like could they be <laughs> the same person wow. like I'm sure they, I'm sure they're not, but at the same time, it kind of feels mm. like the Sigilite I, is the emperor's I, proxy. I I, like I, wonder, the,
0: I wonder if uh, Malkador is um, like the first kind of semi clone of the emperor before he did his sons.
1: Yeah, that'd be good. That's a good the reason theory. I
0: say that is he is a human being who is immeasurably powerful as a Psyker. There is no one that matches Malkador other than the Emperor and Magnus. And that's laid out quite clearly. And he's just a human? Yeah. But what but what if he is a human like Magnus that has the psychic ability of the Emperor? I'd just throw out a theory for you. Yeah, maybe there's something I haven't read that completely disproves or proves that. But as a throw out spitball thing, possibly. Hey, who knows? Cool. But yeah, they are two interesting. very interesting cool moments. What about you, Neil?
2: Um, I particularly like the introduction of Grohl-Gor, Um oh, okay. The whole, the whole sort of we're on the ship. We're here. You can't go in there because you might damage the, uh, <laughs> the, the 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 genetic material here. And then all of a sudden, yeah, uh, right, okay, and done. Oh, Grog was here, and now you're dead as well. Um, yeah, yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, mm. I, yeah, I can't really, I can't really pick out two really cool moments that I liked in particular. I think that's just yeah.
0: No, that's fair enough. I, I mean, the two moments that I pulled out was um, the attempted assassination of the three traitor Primarchs, Atari and Fulgrim, and Horace by uh, Shadrap Meduson's boys in Fire Raptors. I thought that was pretty cool, and they nearly didn't succeed it, uh, which is crazy. Um, I just thought that was a really cool scene and moment um, that was like quite unexpected when it happened. So I knew it was coming because i have read this book previously, ages ago. But um, it was still cool to read another time and to listen to it And just be like, oh, yeah, that was, that was pretty awesome. And what if that even... Like, even if that had killed one of them, how much of an impact would that have had on the heresy? But just, yeah, mm. it's a really cool moment. That What if? Um, and the other one is the Blood Angel Assault, where they just basically jump in a load of rhinos and just charge into the enemy. They're kind of using... Uh, they're using their own soldiers as shields. So They're like the blood angels are killing the traitors and then getting as close as possible to other traitors um, so that when they're shooting, they're killing their own men rather than killing the blood angels. And they're just cutting things to pieces before the red angel comes. And then obviously you get their um, kind of heroic death, I guess, before they become the villains. Um, I just, that bit was, I wasn't expecting anything like that. I was expecting them to fight, and I was wondering whether it would be Legion on Legion, but that didn't really happen. Um, and it was just, yeah, really cool to kind of have them, I guess, go out as heroes rather than survive long enough to be the villain. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, I, I, It was unexpected, so it stood out to me. Um, yeah, I mean, I think final, final thing, so we talked the book to death, really. It was a fine book. I enjoyed the journey. Was it massively important? Uh, I mean, to the wider story, yes. But did it need to be a 15-hour Audible novel? No. <laughs> that's that's really my conclusion. It is such a long book. It is this, a long
2: book. 621. This,
0: this book, I would argue that this book could be a short story and still achieve the same. <laughs> like, honestly, you'd lose some of the character stuff. You'd have to maybe have two short stories. You could have the Knight Errant story and you could have Horace finding out about the mystery and attacking Moloch and just cut out a bunch of, sorry, Sam, the Baltimore. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and yeah, actually yeah. have him turn up, win the battle, open the warp gate. You could still have Olivia in there and it's like... It would make sense still, right? It story. would still
1: make sense, which is the, yeah. the, the weird thing. I don't know. Yeah. Like this came out in, what, May 2014. This is 29 books into the heresy. Like, there's still another, what, 20 to go at this point?
0: 56, I think.
1: Yeah, so what, 23, 24, whatever. Yeah. We're over halfway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. It it felt like...
0: It's fine. It's fine. But, like, whatever. And Joe, I remembered it more fondly when I listened to it this time around. I was like, oh, yeah, it'll be cool to do. And then I was like, actually, it's all right. Like, it's fine. It's not a bad book by any means. It's really well written. Yeah. Um, there's nothing in it that strikes me as weird. Or like out that of character. She
1: was weird.
0: <laughs> no, you know what I mean? Like you know, like weirdly written or out of character for oh, sort of oh, character. It. Like, it's all just very well done. It's just a lot of it and it probably doesn't need to be there. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's that's kind of my generalization of this book. It was fine. Yeah. It's done.
1: Well, next up is the damnation of Pythos for me. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's the next one on my list. Uh,
0: so hopefully you enjoyed uh, the Vengeful Spirit and our review of it. Hopefully we didn't drone on too much and covered all that we needed to cover. Uh, our next book will be a 40k book. And we are jumping into some what I believe is current 40k, uh, which is really cool. And we're going to do Saga of the Beast, which is the latest Ragnar Blackmane book. I guess you can probably work out who's leading that one. <laughs> um but yeah it's a book that i've wanted to do it came out when they released the new ragnar primaris model and um Gaskell model so i'm really looking forward to seeing what happens in that book and it is shorter than vengeful spirit <laughs> which is great um so yeah pick it up read it um, check it out if you haven't already and we'll be doing that in two months time cool we shall take a quick break cool. i suppose what are we doing next? Oh, oh, yeah,
5: the the outro. The tendrils of the warp are far reaching and communicating using the great social media anonymicon. Do I, what's that? Do I have to say that?
1: Yeah, it's a uh, keeper, anonymicon.
5: Anonymicon? Anyway. It's apparently never been easier. Reach out and connect. Find them on the Adeptus Terra Podcast page on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash the Adeptus Terror Podcast and the Adeptus Terra Podcast Community Safe Room Facebook group, www.facebook.com forward slash T-A-T-P Safe Room. You can also connect to them on Instagram to see some of what they get up to in between episodes at the Adeptus Terror podcast give these losers a break and please give them a like and a follow thanks guys
1: and welcome back this is Late Night Love with Sam and Neil and Matt's too i left apparently no <laughs> <laughs> Nomad this time. Anyway, uh, let's move away from the microphone so you can't hear me heavily breathe into your ears. Um, what is this? Uh, this is the end of the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Both you and Matt really failed there. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> this is the end of the show. Welcome. Uh, if you made it this far, congratulations. Uh, congratulations. You get a Milk Top medal. Um and yes. if you've not made it this far then screw you you're missing out you're not here so
0: you're it's
2: not it's here fair.
1: so I can say whatever I like about you um, cool so we're going to quickly run through what's to expect of us if any hobby in the next month do a poll reminder um, probably tell you what the next book review is again just so uh, it's in your ears and then the next hangout date, and then we'll end so Neil can eat some chicken before he goes and plays some D&D game
2: yes
1: so Neil <laughs> tell us What will you work on in the next month?
2: Uh, uh, Training people. Um, (laughs) I don't know. At the moment, honestly, I do not know. I need to come up with some kind of plan and actually, yeah, follow through, finish something. I need to finish something.
1: You need to finish something?
2: Just something. I just need something finished. I can be like, I've actually done something and made it through start to finish. Um, I don't know what that'll be, but I will... Give it a damn
1: good go. Give it a, give it a crack. Give it a crack. Yep. Anyway, uh, Matthew, what are you going to work on?
0: So I am planning on continuing to just kind of hammer away at the Ultramarines. Um, I've got a couple of Predators that I'd like to get all base-coated. Then everything I own is base-coated. Um, I, I'm currently kind of painting everything to roughly the same point because I need to purchase some oil washes as well as some um, decals or decals, um, however you want to say those for my ultramarines. Um, I need to sell off a bunch of stuff that I've just had sitting here for months to sell off, uh, so that I can pick up my last couple of tanks for the ultramarines as well. Uh, so yeah, lots is going to be going on. Hopefully, I I think I would just like to have maybe some more blue laid down. Take advantage of the daytime space and. Um, get some airbrushing done. So I'd like to maybe get some more blues laid out on some of the tanks. And um, yeah, just, I, I, I guess you will hear more about the Ultramarines if you want to know what you're going to expect. I have no idea what that will look like, just more progress. And I want to be able to sit down and be, like this month, I was quite happy with what I achieved. I'm hoping this month will be the same.
1: Good. Next month, Uh, I might try and work on something a bit different to kind of tempt me back into the fold. So I might try and work on those um, ZM vehicles and then try out some new techniques and and perhaps we can talk about them in this or the next show or the show after or whatever. But yeah, Yeah. that's the plan. Cool. That's the plan, indeed. Um, Cool. cool. um, I was going to say... poll reminder so poll reminder um is favorite black library author and why um it's only been live for uh, about two hours uh, and we've already had what five six seven eight votes plus which is cool um so go ahead uh go to the community safe room and give us a vote um and uh, and, and yeah um that's the poll and reminder yeah. and yeah <laughs> book club Next time, not next month, the month after, or the month after that, one of the two, um, we will be reading, Matthew?
0: The Saga of the Beast.
1: Some Space Wolf nonsense. It
0: is. Ragnar Blackmane. Bramaris Ragnar Blackmane.
1: Oh, he's a little bit taller, a little bit baller. Um, (laughs) Next Hangout date is this coming Sunday. If this is released on time, if it's not released on time, then... um, Ignore that. Apologies. (laughs) Uh, And the next Hangout date you'll be available for is April 25th. Um, yeah. I believe we're probably all going to try and make an effort to attend these. So um, yeah, we, some we were form. talking
0: off, off. Yeah, we were talking off uh, recording about how we'd like to, uh, even when we're not hosting the event, to turn up for some of it. One to support each other, but also just to say hi to everyone. So um, you'll definitely see one face, but hopefully some more of each of us.
3: Cool. Good.
1: Uh, and that's it, really. That's the end of the show. Have a wonderful rest of the month. Um, Speak to you soon. And uh, if you want to speak to us in the meantime, come check us out on the Community Safe Room and and talk to all of our loyal followers.
0: Yeah, come and hang out with us. It's it's awesome. There's lots going on in between episodes. Mainly the guys that uh, keep the Safe Room going and we've got Thursday night hangouts that always go on, which is great and we're very, very appreciative of. Um, yeah lots of good stuff um, check out our Instagram which we need to post more on uh, yeah lots of things uh, going on so come and just be part of what we're doing uh, we really appreciate it
1: well until next time I've been Sam I've been Matt and I've been Neil and this has been the Adeptus Terror Podcast once again so speak just yourself. about just about <laughs> <laughs> have a good one guys catch you later see ya Thanks for listening to another successfully recorded episode of the Adeptus Terra Podcast. Join the conversation on the Adeptus Terra Podcast Community Safe Room on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at the Adeptus Terra Podcast or email at the Adeptus Terra podcast at gmail.com if you just want to chat some math. Thanks again.